Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. Tyler Nelson is back on the podcast today. I've had Tyler on several times. Our first episode was way back in 2001, I believe, episode 79. We've done a couple follow-ups as well, which are available on Patreon if you want to go listen to those. And this was another great episode. I stopped through Salt Lake City on my way to Boulder, Colorado, right before the holidays and hung out with Tyler. I went and visited his shop. We actually had a climbing session together. I copied his warm up, and that was fascinating. We talked about that in this episode and why he warms up the way he does. Some of the stuff that we did was brand new to me. And then we had a bouldering session on his wall. It was super fun. We had a lot of stuff to talk about in this interview. Some of it was clarification about finger strength and some of your questions. Some of you guys were confused after our last follow-up episodes. We talked about that. And some of this stuff is confusing and just hard to describe on a podcast. But I really tried to focus on takeaways in this conversation. What do we actually do? What does all this stuff mean? What are the best ways to get strong fingers? How should we train our fingers if we're climbing all the time so that we don't overdo it and get injured? What are some of the main causes of finger injuries and other climbing injuries and how do we avoid those? We talked about the difference between calisthenics versus strength training and how to get stronger effectively. We talked about why climbers shouldn't train like gymnasts. That was really interesting as well as what sets some of the best athletes apart and so much more. There was a lot of good stuff in this one. I selfishly asked him for some advice for my trip to Waco. That's where I'm at right now. And it was super helpful. I'm trying some of the things that he shared with me. And he shared some of the things that he learned from his trip to Squamish over the summer. And there were some great takeaways from that as well. So Yeah, again, lots of good stuff in this one. I hope you guys enjoy it. I think you'll find it useful if you're into training and trying to improve your climbing. Yeah, there's lots of nuggets in this one, and I hope you enjoy. There's no extra for patrons from this episode. You guys get the full thing for free. But I do want to say that I just published a blog episode on Patreon uh, in audio format, so it's on the podcast. I periodically record little audio blogs where I just say what I've been up to. I talk about some of my own climbing and things. And I try to do that about once a month, but I haven't done it in quite a while. I think the last one was September. So I had a lot of stuff to catch you guys up on. I talked about buying a house. I talked about sending my most recent V11 in Leavenworth this fall and about part of the process doing that boulder. I talked about some of the climbs I did in the front range over the holidays. And I talked about my goals for Waco tanks and my goals for 2024 and a lot more. So if you wanna hear what I've been up to, if that's interesting to you, that's one more reason to check out Patreon. I'm putting out bonus episodes at least a couple times a month, almost every week actually. There's new stuff coming for you guys all the time. So if you wanna support the show and if you can't get enough of the nugget, then go check out Patreon. You can learn more at patreon.com slash the nugget climbing. You can sign up for free. There's a seven day free trial. You can check it out and listen to some bonus episodes and see if you like it. And you can cancel at any time, no questions asked. All right, I appreciate you guys. Once again, I hope you enjoy this one and find it useful. Without further ado, here's Tyler Nelson. Like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we do it, like we do it, like we do it. Cause no one can do it like we
Just because they feel like I like uh, Kimbro's. What's that? Where Kimbro, forget his last name. He like has been doing podcasts or his Instagram about like climbing grades. He's a philosophy professor. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've and seen he that. uses like the small one, but he hooks on an old cam. Okay. And I was like, that's a sick microphone because it literally is an old. Oh, on a Camelot, climbing. Ca- uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it just is like hooked there, and like that's his microphone. <laughs> a little lav mic on a Camelot. <laughs> like, that's, that's pretty dope. That's sick. Yeah. So yeah, I try to be like within a fist width away. For the chat, trad dad. Um, did you have donuts for breakfast? What did you have for breakfast? I did not. I was actually going to bring donuts, but I'm glad I didn't. Because <laughs> I'm on it. Yeah, I'm with a weird freaking diet. No, with your new nutritional like yeah modifications, that wouldn't have been a good move. No, donuts wouldn't have worked. Nice. Sounds good. Then I just wanted to take. What do you have of, for breakfast then? What did I? I had uh, two pieces of toast with cheese and egg. Do you eat donuts every day? Sauce. No. Okay. I did for a period of time, just as like a fun, experimental, like you know, it's just a source of calories. And depending yeah. on the donut that you get, like a fritter, big, dense, lots of carbs. Like before training, totally great and fine. You nice. know, like enough with some protein. You know, it's like a protein shake, and that's fine for like early morning climbing but i don't do Sounds that every day. Ama- if you had like a chocolate or like espresso flavored protein powder and then a fritter that sounds pretty fritters freaking, yeah that's fritters an amazing are, are <laughs> man i love that's, fritters. that's a pre-workout right there that sounds dope yeah it was like a funny not funny like a bad time in my life but it was like i had some clients that were like donut aficionados and they had like this donut festival in utah that they started and i was seeing them regularly and they got me kind of like psyched about it and i was like all right i'll go to your donut festival and they would travel (laughs) this guy would travel to donut places in the country just for donut shops like that's their vibe and so i just like got into it from what a what a thing to make your specialty you know like i'm gonna be a donut expert that's a very like smart self-indulgent career path i love i love how unique people's like interests are yeah like that's a cool interesting like thing to be in love with like yeah you know people are unique like that bringing people joy all around the world for sure do you want to set the scene for us with what where we are oh here in my office i forget i don't mean look at you and (laughs) we're just in my office which is not too big um and the grasshopper headquarters Mm -hmm. so we just had a session on the grasshopper board did some pre-finger warm-up strength stuff and then climbed on that new nature board for maybe like an hour yeah. Half? yeah. Yeah. Maybe 20 minute warm up, hour session. Just got it, got the business done. We're going to yeah. be talking about kind of what we did and why and stuff. Um, hopefully it's helpful for people. But yeah, it's it's interesting to be back here. We're in the tent or we're in the grasshopper um, shop and I've been here several times. But now, yeah, you're based here. You've got your setup here, your all your training stuff. And um, the nature board's really unique. It's for people that haven't seen it, it's like a, it's a spray wall. But it's covered in, is it Nature Untold is the, or Nature? Nature Climbing nature is the climbing. company. And so there's, I think there's 105 of their holds on there. And so some are wood granite, like wood with a granite top, which are the ones that are kind of the same. But then all the unique granite ones are all unique, which is just really cool. That's cool. Yeah, None of them are the same. Granite climbing session inside. It's pretty, it was pretty fun, right? Yeah. Like, on an adjustable spray wall. Yeah. It's it pretty sick. Like it's, in my opinion, it's as good as it gets with a spray wall inside. The only thing that would be better was have the mirrored. I like the mirrored of mm. some of the boards, but mm-hmm. like 
there's mirrored boards all over, so I can get that elsewhere. Totally. Yeah. I never, this is a tangent, but whatever. I, um, I never use the mirrored thing as much as I would think that, or as I used to think that I would, you know, like when they first came out, I was like, this is so smart. You know, my engineering kind of background was like, this is, we can systematize everything. Now we can even systematize our climbing. And then I, I never actually use it or very rarely. I, I like doing it to warm up, mm-hmm. but I don't really enjoy climbing a hard problem mirrored. You know, it's like, I want to climb a new problem that's different and, right. and kind of, it just feels more creative and fun. So yeah, I don't, I don't. Your session it. last night was downtown. It was at the front. And so they have the spray set up. They have right, the spray the set up of, of the TB2. I Which on that. I think yeah. is like, it's interesting. They're essentially the tension board followers or people that have that. They like now have to choose, right? Where Between the mirrored and the spray the two, setup. Right? But yeah, there's just yeah. way more problems on the mirrored. Mm. So like the mirrored is more fun to climb on than the spray yeah. because more people have it. So there's just statistically more better or more interesting problems from it on the mirrored board. But yeah. I think it also makes it maybe it's not like a, it's a, it needs, you need to think about it less. If you make a really cool problem, you're like, cool, let's try it the other way. And it's really interesting that it feels like a different problem. That is, yeah. It really is. doesn't feel the same. Yeah, that is interesting. And I don't know that it really gives us a lot of maybe insight into like, which I don't know. I think people can over-evaluate that too much. I would mm-hmm. just really consider a different problem the other way. Mm-hmm. You know, even though it's the same, the skills going left to right, I don't know if they're always be symmetric because our mm. bodies aren't that symmetric. There's a lot of asymmetry, so. Well, that's interesting. I almost think about it the opposite. Like the first time I climbed on a mirrored board was I think the TB1. And I started noticing there, you know, there was a short period of time at Bend Rock Gym when I used this thing. And, uh, I noticed like if I, if I worked on a problem one way, I would do it quicker the other way. It was, and and it didn't matter which side I started Mm. with. It seemed like my brain would learn the pattern and it would be able to flip flop it a little bit, you know, like if it would take me three tries on one side, I would flash it on the other side. Mm. Or if it took me five tries, I'd maybe do it in three tries. Like it was always like a little quicker to repeat it the other way. I think it's like a really cool idea, regardless of like, how we know it works. I yeah. think the mirroring thing and like the brain knowing, I think there's definitely truth to that. Like in the neuroscience world, that's like a thing like yeah. train one side, the other side gets better too. So I think it's just kind of a easy way, especially if it's something at your limit, then it's like extra valuable because then it's like mirroring your maximum effort perception going mm. the other way, which is very cool. Yeah. I also noticed, I think the first time I used the TB1, I was I was like, ooh, this is going to be so interesting. I wonder which sorts of moves or holds are going to be harder on one side or the other. I just assumed that I was going to be unbalanced because I'd never climbed on a systematic mm-hmm. board like that. And then I like kind of felt fine. You know, I kind of right. felt the same on both sides. And I was like, wow, that's also really cool. Like your body has a way, your brain just like knows how to kind of balance you out, even though every rock climb that we do is asymmetrical and you might like hammer the left hand on a crimp for like weeks when you're trying a project or something and like, but somehow it, it all kind of works out. It all kind of comes out in the wash, you know? You could easily do that on the right hand too, right? Just have to practice that. Yeah. I think maybe the idea, and I don't know, I think Will, when they originally built that was for, they weren't trying to make a board to like set problems on. They were trying to like do what we did mostly in there is like do like a really hard move and then like do a really hard move the other way. But it makes sense to have it be consistent. Mm. 
you know, instead of just like as random. So I think that was kind of the, and I think that was the first mirror board, right? The TB1? I think so. I think that was the yeah, original intention. So. And then there was an app and lights and people just like set problems and now it's kind of mm. turned into that, but that wasn't their intention. Oh, was, that's interesting. Mike I never and, knew that. I think Will both told me when we were chatting one day about finger stuff, they're like, the goal was to like essentially create something that you would wall crawl on, kind of like we did as the final warm up. Mm-hmm. Like find a really hard position to get in and lift your feet up and hold for a second and create tension, the name, right? And then like step off and mm. then do it on the other side. Cool. To be like more well-balanced in hard positions, both on the fingers and the hips and, you know, everything. Yeah, yeah. And I think the other, maybe the idea that I think of is when I set problems on like my old spray wall, a lot of them started in the bottom right corner, right? It's like we just have like a habit with handedness, like this hand is like Mm. a little bit more coordinated and stronger than most people. So like the problems go one way. So Mm. I think it's like flipping it. You're like, oh wait, I'm doing more work on the other side too. So there's also the volume of stuff you're doing in terms of hard moves. Kind of challenging your own bias. That makes sense. But I love, I love that board for sure. It's sick. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Changing topics here. I think that, is this the first time we've recorded in person? Yeah, I think so. That's really funny. I think we've, I think this is like our fourth or fifth podcast. Like we did one way back episode 70 something, I think. And then we've, you've done like two or three follow-ups, I think since then. Yeah. I think the only one I've done in person with anyone was with Chris and had a donut shop in Tennessee. Oh yeah. I forget when that was like. (laughs) I listened to that way way back when. Yeah. 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 (laughs) That's the only one I think I've done in person. Okay. Which was way fun to do. It was cool. Like a donut shop for people that go through sick it's crazy <laughs> we were blown away it's like a mini donut shop but they served alcohol at like 10 oh. in the morning whoa we didn't drink mimosas but we're like, and donuts why and are you serving alcohol at 10 in the morning and it's like such a popular place for bridesmaid and grooms like parties like bachelor parties and bachelor okay. parties like people were like a place is nashville that's where it is donuts and alcohol that's dude it's like sure. the town is wasted like, <laughs> when you walk down like i don't know i don't drink. So like when I went downtown to Nashville, I was like, this place is wasted. Like people are <laughs> having a lot of fun here. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Well, it's fun to do this in person. And um, it was, I'm excited to just kind of talk through parts of our session. And, and you know, some of this might feel a little funny because we, it's always interesting to like talk about stuff a second time. Like we've been talking for the last two hours as, you know, if we've been hanging out and climbing and stuff and I want to kind of rehash some of that. Cause there was so much interesting stuff there, but, um, yeah, I came in today, neither of us had a plan, which is unlike me. I usually have like a very clear agenda and plan and outline for an interview, but, um, it was cool. It kind of evolved as we were hanging out and I want to start with, uh, there's a few things I want to talk about. I want to talk about the way we warmed up and why we warmed up the way we did. That was really interesting. Um, touching on a couple of the key components of that and how you think about that and like ways that people can do that if they don't have all this equipment. And then you, you know, we were talking earlier and you were saying, I was asking you like what you're excited about and what you're kind of, you know, curious about and exploring these days. And you were saying, you're kind of sick of talking about finger strength. You're really fascinated by the campus board and how we actually train for functional power and contact strength and that kind of whole world. And I think it'd be interesting, but you were like, you know, I'm happy to talk about finger strength for the podcast. And and of course we have a lot already, but I think it'd be interesting to hear like, you know, you've been exploring finger strength topics for a long time. You kind of set out into that world with a handful of questions and now you feel satisfied. You feel like you kind of understand it and you've answered those questions for yourself and you've kind of moved on. 
it'd be interesting to get a summary of like, what have you really taken away from the last few years of that deep exploration? And then, yeah, I think we should talk about, selfishly, we should talk about our board session, my climbing, your advice for me for Waco, because I think that's all kind of connected to like keeping the session short, the intensity, the coordination, like all that stuff kind of ties in. So that's kind of what I have in mind. Cool. Yeah, maybe. And when I say like, I'm satisfied with like the finger strength stuff is not that like, like we don't need to study that anymore, obviously, because like my understanding of it is like rooted in what we know about like muscle physiology more broadly, right? Not really applied to a lot of rock climbers and, you know, so essentially what we were talking about is like, there's still a lot more room for learning, but yeah, you, you've kind of scratched learn, your own itch. But like for the thing that I like feel is I was really not, was like really confused by like, as we mentioned, people for years now have been hat or not hashing. They've been like tweaking fingerboarding protocols and they've been like coming up with new ways to apply them to when you do it or this particular time under tension, this particular rest. But no one's really tried to like tackle like why are we gaining these adaptations and why do they look different when we isolate the finger flexors compared to like doing big body weight things. And so it was really like within the last couple of years, me like, you know, taking it upon myself and like spending a bunch of time and energy and money, like really trying to get as deep of an understanding as I can with strength training mm -hmm. and applying it to the fingers, you know? And it turns out like Steve jokingly is like, it's great when you like make a guess right and you're right. I was Steve like, Bechtel. Yeah. And yeah. I was like, yeah, it kind of is. Like, like you go out on a limb and try and learn about something, but like it kind of pans out like the way that we talk about like eccentric load and concentric load and the difference in those loads. And we test a bunch of climbers like that and the loads are about the same difference. And so I think for me, I'm pretty like, happy about like the outcome that I've learned from that. And it's really hopefully made it more simple for people to like do just the minimum amount of stuff, but you don't need to be so rigid with the protocols because it's probably not that necessary and mm -hmm. it can be hopefully less risky for a lot of athletes. Yeah. So there's still tons to, for people to learn, but like that's essentially what we mean by satisfied. Gotcha. Yeah. There's still room for tons of research and, and there's still a lot more to learn. Um, let's just dive into that first then, since we're kind of talking about that. I want to start by kind of giving a summary of what I understand based on what I've learned from you. And then you can clarify anything I'm, I'm missing or getting wrong. Um, cause our last, our last episode, it was a follow-up and we talked pretty exclusively about active flexion or what you would call more like concentric load with the fingers versus um, just pulling down with your whole arm and body and shoulder and like your, you know, um, your whole body. So, uh, God, it, it's so hard to explain this on a podcast, but the difference between curling your fingers, the active flexion, and just, um, what is it? An overcoming... An overcoming isometric. Versus, versus a yielding, a yielding isometric. isometric yeah. Okay, so overcoming isometric is like you're trying to curl your fingers down. You're isolating just the fingers and you're not using the rest of your body to generate that force. Um, a yielding isometric is when you're hanging on the hangboard. Hanging on the hangboard or pulling down with your body fixed to the ground as hard as you can. Mm -hmm. That, as long as people are trying really hard. Or lifting something heavy off the ground, it, off it the can ground. be that too. From the fingers standpoint, those should be the same. Okay. More yeah. or less. Like those three things, yeah. If they're not the same, it's probably not a finger thing. It's probably like a shoulder thing, mm -hmm. you know, like, and that's where 
muscle mass, athletes that can usually do lots of one-arm things have more muscle mass than people that don't. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the fingers, it shouldn't really be that different. It shouldn't really matter. Mm -hmm. So like in the second YouTube video, I think maybe people were confused by that because there's just a whole bunch of different ways of thinking about it on myself. And so there's a whole bunch of numbers. So people might need to like look at that multiple times, but when you actually like distill it down, that's pretty much what it's showing. Yeah. So you, you guys, Camp 4, created two YouTube videos about finger training. The second one was supposed to be like really clarifying, but people were still confused because there's numbers flying around and stuff. Yeah. So like an easy way of saying it is if I like, if I pull down on a 20, and I did this all on a 20 mil edge just to make it like kind of more standardized. Mm -hmm. You pull down on a 20 mil edge, my number was like 186 per arm, which means I should, weighing 160, I should be able to hang one arm with 25 pounds in my hand, which I can. Mm -hmm. But like if I if I lift something off the ground, I should be able to lift that much weight, which I can. Mm -hmm. And then if I'm standing and pushing with my feet against the scale, that's about the same number. And I don't remember if the numbers were exactly that. But like the point there is to like show that like there's just a bunch of options to train like that. Like pick one that you want to do and stick yeah. with it. You can do heavy hangs. You can pull down really hard on like a tin deck with it fixed to something. You can lift heavy weight off the ground like OTG style. Like all these should basically do the same exact thing and you should get the same numbers. Right. Um, so then the difference is comparing it to the concentric eccentric thing, take the bench press. We all, you know, this has been well studied. You're stronger lowering a bench press than pressing it up, correct? You, and the saying stronger is confusing, right? You can, <laughs> you can load more. You can like load that. more. So I but could- But you're not stronger. If really. my max is- pushing up, I don't know, like 200 pounds or 220 or something, then I could I could hold it extended, have people add more weight and then lower it with more, with yeah, more 50% weight. 50% more. 50% more, okay. Yeah. So a, then- A lot more. So then we see the same sort of difference in fingers. If you isolate the finger flexors when you're like using a tin deck and you know the, the hangboard that you're using or the, the tension block or whatever is fixed to something, and it's hooked up to the tin back to tin deck, and you're just trying to flex your fingers. You're about thirty to forty to fifty percent weaker than if you're just picking up weight or hanging on a hangboard. Yeah, okay. and I have like I think numbers of like 110 people climbers that have done this, and just like it's very obvious there's a significant difference in force when you're performing it like that versus hanging. Mm -hmm. is is very obvious with the scale. Like okay. even though someone can hang with one arm at body weight. I've never seen anyone produce body weight concentrically like that, mm -hmm. right? So there's like, that's weird. You're like, well, how the hell do we do it then? And it really is because in an eccentric style of load, you load, and it, that's where it's like, you're not stronger from a muscular standpoint with eccentrics. You just have a lot of passive tension. So at the ends of every muscle fiber, there's a little molecule called Titan. And when you do a really heavy eccentric load, you load the stiff part of that molecule every like every time and that's mm -hmm. why we can do these super maximal loads okay so it's just the load tolerance but the real kicker that's really kind of unique is the science shows that when that big load is not there your body will not respond like that okay right so even though like doing a one-arm hang on an edge you can do it but that does not mean that you're going to get that kind of response when you're on a climbing wall because that load is not there it's not the same. You can't like actively load. express that same no, amount of strength no on the wall. Yeah. No way. Okay. Yeah. So this this gets fascinating. So in our last conversation, I think people 
we're confused about what's the takeaway here? You know, are you saying that active flexion and training that way or yielding, um, sorry, can, Jesus, active flexion or overcoming isometric, those are the same thing. Yeah. Okay. You know, people were like, are you saying that that's better than hangboarding? Is that better than lifting weight off the ground? Is that better than just, you know, doing max recruitment pulls or whatever? But it seems like they both achieve the same thing. How do you think about that? Like with all with all these years of, of this experimenting and kind of like learning that, okay, there's these two different ways to kind of measure your finger strength and they're always about 30% different and it doesn't really matter whether you hangboard or lift weight off the ground. Like they're, they're all valid ways of training. There is no best way. But what should people actually do? Like should they focus more on the active flexion stuff because it's less risky of injury and they get the same result? Should they try to get more of their strength on the climbing wall? Like that's something that you and I were kind of talking about and getting into today. I was surprised at how little you're hangboarding or or finger training these days. What what's the real takeaway here? I think it's it's that we we put we put too much value on a training tool that's not our sport. Right. And so the other thing about like gaining an adaptation from something is you have to get coordinated at doing it. And getting coordinated at a fingerboard is not that hard. So most people can do it quickly that climb. You know, and like curling, though, people aren't as coordinated doing that movement, so they'll have to gain a little coordination of doing it, right? But neither of those things are rock climbing. And with the fingerboard, it's just like it's not hard to hang on a fingerboard. It's just not. It's way harder to position your body on a climbing wall and grab on small holds. And so it's like I, don't, I would say like overall use whatever method you want Make the reason that the fingerboarding loads are hard to understand, we demonstrated today, and maybe you'll include those videos, like you could be tired and still do a big fingerboarding load. That means that it's not only not helping you, it might be increasing your injury risk, right? Because mm -hmm. our fingers were tired today and I could still do a one-arm hang on a pretty small edge. Yeah. But when we actually tested them, my force was down 30, 35 pounds. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that in Which a minute, is crazy, guys. right? Yeah. But unless you have like the way of thinking about it and be like, well, try that. That's weird. I'm definitely tired. But wait, I can still do this thing? It's like, so it like, it's, it's just harder for people using a fingerboard and adding weight to know that they're actually getting the adaptation that they're looking for from it mm -hmm. because it feels hard and you see the weight go up, right? But that doesn't really mean that it's going to give us a direct transfer. Mm -hmm. So I've kind of tried to make it, at least for myself, for sure, my clients, way more simple of like, just do the minimal amount of stuff you can in your warm up. And then focus more on getting skilled and coordinated at grabbing onto climbing holds that are harder for you at specific wall angles, you know, with different body positions. Like, there's no doubt that anyone should argue with any good reason that that's not a better tool for learning how to grab things than loading on a flat edge. Mm -hmm. No one that knows science would argue with that. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but... So then it gets confusing for people because there's so many anecdotes, right? Like we see so many strong climbers who like, you know, for, in, for instance, I was in South Africa this summer, had the Wheeler boys, Noah and Ben Wheeler on the podcast with, you know, all the other Northeast strong boys and uh, their coach, Charlie Schreiber. And Charlie, you know, these kids are all incredible. Noah's climb V15, like very talented athletes. They're flashing V13, like every time they go climbing. And the first time that Noah ever used a hangboard, 
he hung on a 20 mil edge with like 70 pounds added or some shit. Like it was, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was an insane amount of weight added to a one arm hang his first time. So clearly you can get insanely strong fingers through climbing and through board climbing. Those kids do a ton of board climbing. Maybe that's like the best way to get strong fingers. I don't know. But then we also see tons of anecdotes of people who are good climbers, who are very skilled, who then start hangboarding consistently, and then their climbing goes to another level. So it's clearly doing something, right? So what are you having people, what are you having your clients do? Like what is the right, what is the right amount of it to do? What's the purpose of it? If we're, you know, is, is it, would you rather have those people change their climbing to get more of that sort of thing in their actual climbing, spend more time on a board, for instance, or, or you know, are, for the right type of person who has a lot more room for growth and finger strength and they climb outside on rock a lot, like, is it helpful to do a hangboarding session, do some max hangs or whatever before they go climbing? How are you thinking about that? Does, does that all make sense? Yeah, I would say for the youth athletes, especially the ones that like grow up climbing, developmentally their connective tissues are bigger. Their tendons will have a bigger cross-sectional area. Their volar plates will be bigger. Their fingers are built to tolerate more mechanical load than people that learn to climb as adults. Mm -hmm. That's why youth athletes now getting, you know, becoming adults, they're crushing new limits for climbing. That's totally normal from the evolution of a sport. And that really is because better training practices as youth athletes, more exposure as a youth athlete, like all those things just lead up to be able to do that. I see that a lot with athletes that have never done fingerboarding. They have incredibly strong fingers. So mm. their ability to apply force on holds is really good, but their connective tissues are a big part of that. So for the opposite example of athletes that do a lot of climbing, like, and we talk about this like in the third video, like the climbing stuff, getting good at climbing is applying as little force through your fingers as possible for a hold so you can do more holds to get up a problem. So they've like over time learned to put their body in better positions and apply enough, but as little as possible on a hold so they can do that repetitively over and over and over. So if that's like the the goal of like the train of the climbing and the, the program is to climb boulders, they're not really getting that much higher of a stimulus than their fingers really could do because they're consistently trying to apply as little as possible, mm -hmm. right? And so like you think about like a one-arm hang with added weight, there's no way you're ever applying that much force on the climbing wall. There's just no way. So if you're applying force only on a climbing wall, but then you expose your fingers to this great stimulus, could be a fingerboard, could be lifting off the ground, a whole bunch of different ways you could do it. Could be squeezing something, using the wrist tools, like all of those things would elevate someone's access to more muscle fibers. And they're already coordinated, so that should be an easy transfer. Like one of the things that we know transfers between a strength training thing and a sport is recruitment. The coordination, we don't expect that to transfer. But the muscular recruitment that we gain from a strength training tool, that for sure should transfer to a sport. Mm -hmm. And so if the athlete already has the coordination, they get stronger, they will definitely see it on the climbing wall. Yeah. But there's so many ways to do that. So thinking that there's only one way to do that doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. is really what like the point is. But if you focus too much on it, that can be a risk factor, especially yeah. if it's just like one way on one edge all the time. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So your point this whole time, as long as you've talked about this, has been like, look, 
there's lots of ways to accomplish this same goal here. What we're trying to do is pretty simple. We're just trying to like get peak recruitment and build that up over time. Right. Um, and then people get overwhelmed because they're like, well, you just threw six different options at me. Now I don't know what to do. You know, it's like, well, you can just pick whichever one works for Well, and people will get angry. Some people like and, to like get really emotional about this and angry. Like if we have something that works great, like why are we trying to fix it? It's like, mm. I would say that doesn't, I mean, maybe it works great, but like it's not like that advanced of a training tool, like because of the difference between the muscle force. And so if you're an athlete that has this big training background and this big fingerboarding background and you're not seeing any changes, like change the way you do the training. But don't think that by changing it, you're like making some new evolutionary protocol, like what happened with Emil's protocol. Like he just like really focused on more like overcoming style active tension and he dropped his volume and he got a little bit more recruitment because of that and his numbers went up. That was a mix of less stuff different kind of muscle contraction and just like gained a little extra recruitment that wasn't, that probably had kind of plateaued there. Mm. And that's where understanding the difference really does matter because the eccentric load, even though you can tolerate a lot more physical load and a concentric load and the different isometric loads, they all will increase recruitment to their peak levels. Mm. One is not better than the other. They just use different loads. And so a really heavy fingerboarding load, you have to go really, 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 really heavy. That kind of gets risky on the middle fingers because the middle finger on a flat edge does a lot of that load. So there are risks with only thinking about it in one way, mm. right? And so it's not like that I'm saying that doesn't work for people because that's not true because it, it can, but there's consequences with doing that. Yeah. But there's other ways to do it too. If you want to stick with your 10 second max hangs, like that'll work, but you could probably get the same result with lower risk. And I would say if it was a 10 second thing, I would for sure, I'm not a, I'd never prescribe those. Like I would never. Drop the time way down. It just does not take that much time to hit peak force. Mm -hmm. And the research that has been done on that shows that that will increase your capacity for doing moves, which we need mm -hmm. with climbing, right? But I can also do that on a climbing wall mm. and just do the wall crawl stuff and get more coordination practice. But if, but if I'm following strength training practices, I can also build capacity by hitting 85% more often. I could do it three or four times in a 10 second period. Mm. Right. So there's just like a bunch of options that people have to do, but not to be confusing, really just to like say, like, you know, think about it. Like we need to like teach people to, you know, like have a better like evaluation process of what they're doing. Cause a lot of people just get frustrated and they or they get hurt and they just are like confused with mm -hmm. you know what what happened. Mm -hmm. Okay. I want to make this tangible. So maybe let's go into the warm-up and talk about that. And then we can talk about why we did the finger elements of that that we did. Mm -hmm. I think that'll be helpful to to hear about. Um yeah. And then maybe we can go from there. Um so yeah, we we did a lot of things. We did about a 20-minute warm-up. I just decided I'm just going to copy exactly what you do and mm -hmm. just kind of try a new way of warming up. It was great. I felt great when we got on the wall and started trying hard. Um, but yeah, we just did something kind of circuit style. We filmed the whole thing, so we'll probably put out like a short video on YouTube about this. But uh, um, we started with using the tin deck, using um, an unlevel edge. Mm-hmm. What were, we, what were we using? It's like 25 mil. I think it's 25 mil. It's the Metacarp Edge. Okay. But Tension has one too that I like that I have as well. 
That one was just the one I grabbed because it was close. But like just a way to load the pinky and the index finger and just like get as much muscle activity as we can in the extrinsic finger flexors. Okay. So for people that haven't seen this, it's an unlevel climbing edge. These are becoming more popular, but basically it allows all four of your fingers to be in more of a half crimp position at the same time. Right. Um, so it's shorter for the index and pinky to accommodate your different finger lengths, basically. It looks like a podium. Yeah. Like a one, two, three podium. And mm -hmm. there's, you know, so essentially there's five heights on the podium and then you just put the middle finger on the tall one always. Mm -hmm. And then the fingers just kind of drop. Mm-hmm. It feels good. It feels good to warm up. Yeah, with, it's yeah. a great tool. Like yeah. just, it makes a lot of sense for a lot of different like neuromuscular reasons, but mostly like trying to load as many muscle fibers and pulleys and connective tissues that you can on all the fingers. Mm -hmm. Cool. So yeah, I'm probably going to forget the order here, but we did, we started off the very first thing we did as the first step of our warm up was to hook that thing up to the tin deck and do like three or four kind of casual active flexion reps, you know, standing above a, a fixed plate. Um, yeah, you guys will see it in the video. I think we did like four, right? Four, four, four reps, yeah. Each, like seven each hand kind of like, like pulsing and getting up to like 70 or 80 pounds, which for both of us is, yeah, seven out of 10 effort or something. Um, so we did that. Then we did, you have a cable machine and we picked up some weight um, using the cable machine with the wrist wrench, I think. If you want to go in order, we do we did chin ups. Okay. If you want, I don't know if you yeah, want yeah, to yeah, those. yeah, yeah. Let's go in order. Let's we go did through chin -ups. the whole thing. So well, I guess, After how do you that. think about your warm up more globally? You said we like fingers, we pull, we push. I usually should just do circuits to be to cover things, but yeah. upper body things I you do off the wall, and then lower body things if people are outside doing them off the wall makes sense. But if you have like we just use the grasshopper board vertical. Like do the mobility things. I do it on the climbing wall. Yeah, we just did slow, kind of like hip open, just like nice, far reaching, easy high stepping. Yeah, up and down, around a little bit because that's not hard on the fingers or the upper body, but it's more just warming up the lower extremity. And I think we did the finger curl and then some chin ups to like ninety, and then a set of climbing around. Then mm -hmm. back to the what you're referring next of cable. Okay, we did the wrist wrench. Picking that up. Yep. Um, we did like, you know, one set of five or something. What do we do next? We did the wrench and then we did push-ups. Okay. So just like, like 15 10, push 15 push-ups. Push mm -hmm. And then another set on the climbing wall on the grasshopper board, just climbed around. Mm -hmm. And then we did the talon grip, the open-handed kind of squeeze pinch grip. So this is like one of those wooden tension balls um, it was hooked up to the cable machine so we could like pick up weight with it. And you're just kind of using your whole hand as a claw. What is that doing? So when people, I think the cable machine people, I get questions when I post that people are like, I don't have a cable machine. Like the cable machine is just a really easy way to change the load. So you could just pick weight up just off the like ground. Just like a loading pin, pick it off the ground. It's the same exact thing. Yeah. The cable machine is just really easy to adjust. Okay. Right. So it's like the wrist wrench is just really easy to adjust the weights and then pull it back and lift it. I'll usually stand on like a little platform so we can, because it's kind of tall mine. But like this grip, like when we do a pinch, the pinch is the fingers are together. And so, but there's also muscles that live between the metacarpals on both sides of the hand called the interossei and then the lumbricals that attach to the flexors. 
And so like the next, I've been doing like some research in like hand, I think it's hand surgery journals where they like dissect human hands and then they do spectron microscopy on the muscle fibers to see the difference in fiber types between muscles. And the intrinsic muscles, which are these ones of the hand, they have more type two motor units, which means they should contract faster. So like for grabbing onto things and having contact strength, their theory is that we've evolved like that because these ones have to flex the MCP joint fast so the PIP joints can flex fast as well. So it's kind of like an order of operations is their hypothesis. So, But when we pinch something, our hands are together, like the fingers are together. So we don't really stress those probably as much. Mm -hmm. So my hypothesis there is like, Grabbing onto something like this will make your metacarpal heads go together. So it's like a way to like warm up the intrinsic muscles of the hands a little bit. As okay. well as like the wrist wrench does that pretty good too okay. with the thumb. Okay. Cool. So it's like I call it like a hand warm up. Like it's like finger warm up, sure. But like if I'm hanging on a fingerboard, I'm only loading mostly or targeting like the extrinsic muscles. I'm not really loading the thumb. Not really loading the inner osseous muscles because my fingers are just like crammed together on a flat edge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it just seems a little more comprehensive to me. Gotcha. Okay. And then I think we went back to the tin deck. And I think yeah. We well we used that and then we did another set the talon grip. Then I think we did some fast pull ups. Okay. Like five like powerful concentric pull ups. Mm -hmm. And then another wall mobilization crawl thing on bigger holds, four feet and hands. Then we went back to the 10 deck, I think, and then did a hard set. Mm -hmm. I think we had like up, 85%. So. Yeah, we did like a set of three yeah. at yeah 85% effort or something. Um, and then did we just, I think we did a few more push-ups and then we I did I think we one. did power push-ups, another one of those, and then three hard reps on each of those. So a really wrist heavy wrench, wrench set. The, the talon. Really heavy talon set and then a try hard curl set. I yeah. think that was it. The final finger thing was just a one rep max. So for the finger element of that, the wrist wrench is hitting part of that. The talon thing, the wooden ball is hitting on part of the finger warm up. And then on the tin deck, we literally only did three sets. We did four easy reps each hand at, you know, seven out of 10 effort. And then like a set of three reps. And these are just like quick pulses, like try really hard. Yeah, just try like a slow really build hard. for a couple seconds. Yeah. So the second set was like 85% effort. And then we literally did a single max, just one rep. And that was it. Um, so I was kind of surprised. You know, I was thinking if we were going to do some finger training and then get on the climbing wall, what I've always done or what I've done since talking to you and um, like what I did in Magic Wood, for instance, is I would do my finger warm up. I would kind of like use a tension block or something and kind of like build up to my fingers feeling warm and do some shoulder bands and all these other things. And then um, work up to a max and then drop back to like 80% and do like a three by three or do a five by five or do something like that. Because um, I thought you know, this is kind of like weightlifting strength training. Like I want to get a little bit more volume in at that sweet spot strength zone to build functional strength. And then my fingers will be super warmed up and I can go try my project or whatever. How do you think about that? Like, why did we do so little? We, we worked up to just hitting that one single rep max recruitment and kind of hit our like peak numbers for the day. And then we got on the climbing wall. If we were in more of a training phase, would you do more than that for an athlete that 
you know, has finger strength as more of a priority that they want to build, would you do more than that? Or would you do what we did and then? I would say for a training session, <clears throat> you could do the same thing for a training session and then do three by three curling or lifting, three by three wrench, three by three talon. And that would be like a good forearm hand training intervention. Okay. Because like we talk about finger training, but when people hear finger training, like, oh, fingerboard, finger training, only fingers. Like, no, you need your whole hand when you're climbing. Like, mm. it does not make sense to even call it finger training. Like, it's hand training. And there's different nerves to different muscle groups that coordinate the hand. And so if we're only banging out on a fingerboard, we're maybe missing the broader picture. And if we're only adding a thumb, which is a pinch, we're still like not getting everything loaded very, mm. very evenly with enough intensity, you know? Mm -hmm. So I would say if they want to train, that's fine. If we did a couple more sets, that would probably be fine. But like, that's where we also talked about like prescriptions are really hard to do broadly because everyone is so different. Yeah. Like that's my routine for me. Like after that, I felt like we did on the wall, we just like got on and did some positional stiffness. Then we did like some- Physically holding specific holds. Just holding hard holds positions. on the wall. Just yeah. like we probably did five sets of that. Mm -hmm. That is like the final warm up for me. But the goal of my like off the wall warm up is all about recruitment. Like all I want to do is get the recruitment high on those tissues and hit those levels and then start using my sport and practicing my sport. Mm -hmm. But in order to get ready to grab onto small holds, I need to do that on a climbing wall. Mm -hmm. So people could, and we mentioned that if they don't have access to that, they could do some of that on a fingerboard, grab onto some small edges, full crimp them. You know, but like if you have a climbing wall like most people do or spray wall or a board, do it on the board. And then that naturally turns into your climbing session. Yeah. Okay. So you said something interesting. You said if it were a finger training session, we could do the three by three with the curling and then the wrist wrench and then the talon and kind of do a circuit. Mm -hmm. um, if I were a client coming to you and saying like, I want to get my fingers stronger because I have some goals you know, I want to climb V13. There's this boulder in Leavenworth. I just, I've tried it. I can't hold the positions. Like there's just too much load on the fingers. I, I like can't hold those holds. Would you have me mix in finger training workouts or sessions like that? Or Yeah, would you can be, do that with your strength training stuff. Like, what do you mean? Like, like on a non-climbing On day. a non-climbing yeah, day. Yeah, like okay. lifting with stuff. Weight, with weightlifting and stuff. For sure. You could do more volume there, definitely. Especially if it's like not the season and you're not going to try it. Okay. But I would still make or suggest those athletes. Because what I've learned is most people, like when it's such a finger strength focus, the focus is like over pulling and not like lowering into the hold and resting into the hold, which is like, just like your finger subtly grabbing onto it, but it's mostly like a hang with your feet on. If I don't know if that's confusing for people, but like a lot of times what, like climbing on that board is pretty obvious because the holds are granite. Like if you're not, setting into your skin and you're just pulling really hard, your technical skills kind of go out the window because mm -hmm. you don't apply force through your feet very well, mm -hmm. which is something that's hard to learn on the fingerboard because it's like really easy to just like drop and then lift your feet up. But that's not what rock climbing is. Rock climbing is lowering enough, but you have to like get your feet in another position. So you need that tension in other directions too. So I would also challenge those athletes. Sure, the finger strength stuff is great and you wanna like make your numbers go up, but that's not a guarantee or a direct transfer to you going to that project and being like, oh my God, this feels so much easier. That mm -hmm. never fucking happens. Yeah. 
Everyone knows that doesn't happen. And if they do, if they think that it does, they already know the skill really good. And then mm. they elevated their recruitment a little bit and they could feel that on the wall. But the opposite doesn't happen when people try and focus on the strength and then they go outside and they're like, this didn't work at all. It probably worked. The transfer just wasn't seen, right? They mm -hmm. just didn't get that same transfer. Mm -hmm. So I would still have them practice those skills on a climbing wall. And I think that's more important than, but an unnecessary complement to the strength stuff off the wall. Mm -hmm. Okay. What is the, what is the ratio or the balance of those things for you? Is it mostly climbing most of the time for most clients or? I mean, like we did, I would do it every day. Like what we did today. Why wouldn't you do that every day? Like, and even if you had a, a volume session, I would still do a similar warm up. I would do maybe our same five hard sets and then go to another wall and do more volume because you need more fitness and you need more overall practice. You don't need everything to be like the hardest limit bouldering, but in order to keep that coordination and those adaptations on your fingers, just do it all the time. But the volume is really low. Like some days I'll like, you know, go and like with the training stuff like we did with the wrench and the talent grip, like I'll just like periodically go out there and just do heavy reps like that. No warm up. Just to like know that I can always do that. And because of that, I always, my fingers never feel like a limiter for me ever. Just like I always feel like I can just grab onto small holds. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty resilience building, I think, for most people. Mm-hmm. When you say every day, every climbing day, not every, not yeah, every, every, every day, day. Yeah, like you're taking sure. rest days and stuff. Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm going to summarize the warm up for people that got lost in the details, but basically we did a 20 minute warm up. We did some active flexion on the fingers with that unlevel edge, which is basically every finger is in a half cramp and you're really nicely warming up every finger. We did some pulling, we did some pushing. We warmed up our hips and legs and stuff on the climbing wall. We did circuits of that a few times. The whole thing took 20 minutes. We got to a point where we could pull to our max basically with our fingers. Then we went over to the um, to your wall, the adjustable wall with the granite holds. And we just grabbed two small crimps, put our foot on, held that position for like three seconds. Stepped off, different position, held that position for a few seconds. You stepped away from the wall. I did the same thing. We just did a few rounds of that. Didn't really keep track of it. And then we both felt good. And we started trying boulder problems. And then we had like a limit bouldering session for an hour. Yeah. And, that, and that was it. That was the whole I session. usually would say like four, three or four reps per like, you know, with both hands. It's essentially a repeater. It's the same thing as a repeater. It's just like a three to four seconds on, a couple seconds off, different position, off, different position. But if, if you're really targeting hard holds, you'll know. You'll be like, oh, okay. That was like kind of hard. Like my fingers are kind of, I can feel like a little fatigue from that. Mm -hmm. Step away, sit down, go do it again. Like, and then you'll know, like you, people get a sense of how they feel and you'll be like, oh, cool. My fingers felt fine. Let's like start trying. And mm -hmm. then you like do a couple power moves and then just like that should naturally turn into the session. Mm -hmm. But the, it's very easy. Like we both knew because we didn't change the angle of the wall. And those holds, are, some of them are kind of savage. Like, you knew when you were tired. Yeah. It's like, oh, I'm tired. Cool, it's in. Great. Like, yeah. that's what people can't do. People can't just, like, walk away. Yeah. It's hard to walk away. That's why I like board climbing so much. Because on a board, it's so black and white. It's just like, oh, my fingers feel a little... They're, my fingers feel done. Like, right. they, they went from feeling strong to feeling like, ooh, it's a little sketchy now. Like, I need to stop trying to crank on these tiny holds and jump to them. You know, like, I... 
today I got to a point where like all of a sudden I was like, I don't feel like I should jump to that hold right. anymore. You know, right. uh, it feels risky. And that was the end of the session. But outside you're finding better beta. You're finding like slightly easier ways to do the move. There's like so much more to learn. And I, I, I was telling you earlier, I think one of my, one of the biggest behavioral things that has limited my max strength level, it has, I wouldn't say it's limited my climbing because everything's a trade-off, right? Like I've built really good capacity. I can climb a lot of decently hard stuff in a day because I've always trained for really long sessions. I've always like climbed for long days and done tons of climbing. Um, but I think that I think that behavioral pattern has really held me back from reaching, you know, V12 or V13 or like my own personal limit, whatever that is, because instead of climbing for an hour and a half, I'll climb for three and I'll just do way too much climbing most of the time, I would say. And it's, I think most people, it seems like most people do that. Most people are like on one end of the spectrum or the other. I think very few people like nail the sweet spot really consistently. I think it's really hard to do. Yeah. And the other thing that I noticed with like outdoor climbing and board climbing, board climbing is just harder on your fingers. It just always feels like that. Especially certain boards are different than others in terms of how much that's the case. Mm -hmm. But it always feels harder on your fingers. Like the first board session I had when we built this board after the season, I was like, Oh my God, my fingers haven't felt like that all summer and fall. Mm -hmm. But I was still like trying hard, like, and I was still like climbing outside a lot, but it was not the same like volume, like in the session, right? Cause it's hard to sit there for five minutes. Yeah. Cause you want to just like, you know, just like get anxious for whatever reason. So it's harder to like not do as much there, but just naturally it's just harder on your fingers. And mm -hmm. so I think also for that, that can be a limiter for people because. If you only do that, your capacity will be down, right? And so you, we also talked about even if you had a day where you did more volume on gym sets, where you have more exploratory three-dimensional stuff and use heel hooks and different foot beta, that's still really helpful and necessary. But you could still, but you can't just do that either because then you're going to lose the kind of the savage positional stiffness that you need on your fingers. So it's like you can't just have a tool. You need to have multiple tools and you need to like, think about it and know that that's okay. And like, people just get stressed that they're not doing the right fucking thing. And so they just do the same thing. Mm. And like, that's a mistake, which is, you know, I think a, an easy trap to fall into as an athlete. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And of, and those, how, how you mix those things together just completely depends on the person and their needs. And how quickly they recover. Like for you, you mentioned, you feel like you're, top end is always maybe a little bit lower than it could be because of the volume. But it's like, we love climbing. And when people go outside and they have time, they just want to do a lot of stuff. It's very fulfilling for a lot of different reasons. But there's comp there's compromises or there's uh, consequences with that. Mm -hmm. And that's where it's really hard to understand fatigue and how fatigue influences performance. And for athletes at their you know top level and they want to stay there all the time, it's just like, for the most part, not that's sustainable, there's always going to be a drop in it, you know, mm -hmm. where on average, if you have that big climbing background, you have all that training volume, like we mentioned Jesse, like he's got such a huge Jesse skill set yeah. and capacity for that stuff. And this year he backed off the amount of stuff that he did. And he had like what he would say is the best season. He did just as many hard boulders as he's ever done, got further on the project on the thing he wants to do, felt better. 
but he had to restrict himself from going out as often. And mm. that is the thing that like helped him the most. Mm-hmm. So he did more strength training, more like high intensity, non-climbing things just for like tissue stiffness and muscle recruitment, because that will apply to climbing for sure if you already know the skills very well. So it's like, it takes a lot of like, takes a lot of sacrifice on both ends, I think, for athletes to like reach new limits. And it's not just sacrifice going to the gym and grinding your life away. It's like, you have to be like strong-minded to not do that all the fucking time too. Mm-hmm. Like we we are so focused on the stress and like the focusing on like the discipline. The more. discipline is not doing shit too. Like that's also a requisite discipline to get better because your body needs that recovery. Mm. Right. Which is ridiculously hard to teach professional athletes. Yeah. <laughs> because that's their job. Well, right? and most really of them have do. gotten so good from just grinding and like climbing in the gym, you know, as kids six days a week. And yeah. And we will be right back. This episode is brought to you by Crimped. If you are psyched to level up your climbing in 2024, check out the Crimped app. This is the most useful app I've seen when it comes to self-coached training for rock climbing. Crimped has dozens of workouts that focus on all the different facets of climbing performance and training, strength, endurance, power, flexibility, you name it. You can find workouts for whatever you want to train, and they have been carefully crafted by world-class climbers and coaches. I did a really fun collaboration with Crimped last year, and one of their featured playlists is a selection of workouts that I made for those of you who prefer to train on real rock. Emil Abrahamson also has a playlist to help you guys address common skill and strength gaps on the journey from V0 to V15. And Ryan Devlin over at the Struggle Podcast, who's a friend of the show, has a playlist for pumpy overhanging sport climbing as he chases his first 513 at the Red River Gorge. So you can find all of that and a lot more in the app. It really is a treasure trove of training information and it will guide you every step of the way. So check out Crimped. You can learn more and download the app by going to crimped.com. That's C-R-I-M-P-D.com to get started and download the Crimped app for free. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. If you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you'll know that it's not just about climbing. It's also about getting to know people and learning from them. And it's about getting to know ourselves because until we do that, it's really hard to know how to get where we want to go in our life, our romantic relationships, climbing, or anything. Therapy is all about deepening your self-awareness and understanding because sometimes we don't know what we want or why we react the way we do until we talk through things. BetterHelp connects you with a licensed therapist who can take you on that journey of self-discovery from wherever you are. I've been going to therapy twice a month for the last year and a half through BetterHelp, and I cannot overstate how helpful it's been. It's helped me unpack some relationship baggage and learn from those experiences so I don't repeat the same patterns over and over. And now I'm in the healthiest relationship I've ever been in, and it's amazing. And I really do credit therapy for a lot of that growth. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I still use it, and it's perfect for my lifestyle. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge and without 
any awkwardness. It's super, super easy. Discover your potential with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com nugget today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash nugget. And now back to the show. That's interesting. Uh, to, let me ask you this, like to what extent should we be trying to build more capacity to be able to train more? Because that should happen, right? Like, you know, I can do more hard training now than I could 10 years ago for sure. So I have more training capacity, but should I, I guess just the if the intensity is high, um, what am I trying to say here? It seems like it seems like the pitfall is just to try to do too much of both, right? Too much intensity and volume. Mm -hmm. It's like pick one. Well, the other thing is you can build a lot of capacity, what we call capacity, off the climbing wall too. Mm. But if the focus is, and that's where I think it's important to understand the difference between how much like how much tolerance you can put on the tissues in a more in a safer context, we can say than like your sport. And like that's why I like the unlevel edge for finger training or the talon grip or the wrench or those tools, you can do more high intensity volume of those things, which for sure will transfer to rock climbing. But I can't do all my capacity training on my board because I'm going to get a finger injury. Mm. Because it's like those stresses on the joints, like these joints are really strong, but they're really small in relation to doing it in a context where it's Got like it. not as risky for falling on my ankle and spraining my ankle or over crimping and tearing my A4, A2 pulley on my pinky, which is ridiculously common. Yeah. I see a lot of that because people don't load their pinky tendons in their pulleys very much. Mm. So it's like there's all these other ways that we can build capacity that are not rock climbing that I think maybe got get like kind of poo-pooed or like, oh, that's not rock climbing. Like it doesn't look like rock climbing. Like that stuff is incredibly valuable and meaningful mm. for an athlete just more generally. Yeah. Okay, so let me let me kind of say that back to you in a different way. So if we, if I'm like, you know, I'm going to Waco, right? Um, after this, I'm going to go down to Waco for two months. I'm going to intentionally be picking out, I mean, I have tons of projects there, but I'm going to be trying to do lots of stuff in like the V10, V11 range. And I'm intentionally picking some kind of board style hard ones, like diaphanous C. It's like a classic crimpy V11 that's like kind of a board climb. And that's the kind of thing I want to get better at. Um, so rather than, like, I could supplement with some more strength work, but it would be a bad idea to do more off-the-wall stuff that's small holds on a hangboard or even, like, half crimping on a hangboard. It would be better to do more, like, wrist wrench or talon or this really big, comfy unlevel grip because I'm still getting some more recruitment that's going to transfer back to climbing, but I'm not overtaxing those delicate tissues in the fingers and stuff. That's kind of what you're saying. For sure. Right? You can push yourself harder with that and have less risk because if we, if we make the training too much like the sport, the risk there is just like repetitive stuff. Yeah. And the most commonly injured joint in a climber, I would say, like, I think the stats would say... I think fingers actually is before shoulders now. It used to be shoulders, but I would say is the PIP joint in the middle finger. Like I see so many climbers with just fucked up middle finger PIP joints. Mm. And that is really because it's the longer finger. And so every time you grab into a small hold, it's flexed the most. It gets the most physical stress. The central slip, the volar plate, all those tissues, like it gets swollen and sore and pissed off, right? And that is a mix of 
everything that athletes do, including barbell stuff. Like I have a lot of climbers with finger injuries try and change their train change their habits to do less weighted pull-ups, less deadlifting for the sake of like not like ripping around that joint and like cranking so hard on it. Cause that also is a type of stress to the joint. So trying to be too much like the sport is in some ways maybe risky. So I would say doing those things makes sense, but like you have to go to that project and you have to grab onto those holds and you have to figure out the body position or your training adaptations are going to be useless Mm -hmm. for the most part. I said something on Ryan's podcast, I forget, um, and people were freaking out about it. (laughs) And I think it was like, if you did finger strength training, if you did a finger strength training program and you didn't climb on the climbing wall, that would be a waste of your time. Mm. Something like that. People, because his, like, he had someone that edited it, whatever, and they, people freaked out. Like, that's not true. Such and such did this because they took time off and they came back. It's like, yeah, they're already really good at the skill of climbing. Mm. Like, the point with that comment was really like your adaptations off the wall will only be really expressed on the wall if you intentionally get them to transfer. And that is rock climbing. That mm-hmm. is the sport. But it's not just like power rock climbing. It needs to be a little bit more deliberate in some cases. And that is what you want to do on that project. Mm-hmm. Don't, yeah, don't think that more hangboarding, don't think that hangboarding is more important than climbing, basically. There's, uh, I mean, and I think most people that fingerboard don't think that, but they... They kind of behave like... They behave like they do, <laughs> yeah, right? It's yeah. like, why, why are you so attached to this goddamn flat edge with a fixed depth? Like, what the... <laughs> why are people so emotionally attached to it? I don't understand yeah. that. It's, yeah. It kind of blows my mind. Yeah, yeah. Okay. This is all helpful. I want to I want to kind of clean up one thing that's like an unresolved... Uh, box I need to check here um, because we kind of teased it, but you mentioned, you know, you were talking about why people shouldn't hangboard at the end of the session. It still feels hard. It still feels like you're doing something and you can still, even if you can still pull hard, um, you're not going to be hitting your max recruitment and that's not a good time to train. So what happened today was we did the warm up that we talked about. We each hit our peak force. You were pulling, you know, 130 per hand or something with active flexion. And then we went and climbed for an hour and did our like bouldering session. And then we went back and did another one rep max and like compared. And it was really interesting. Like, you know, your numbers were down 34 pounds or something per hand. You went from 130 to 97 or something like that. But then you went over to the, so, so you're using a 25 mil uneven edge and your active flexion is 97 pounds per hand and you weigh 160. Mm -hmm. And then you went over to a 20 mil edge on a hangboard and hung from it with one hand which is crazy. For like seven seconds. Yeah. So it's like, what the fuck is going on there? You're like, where'd those extra 63 pounds come from? You know? So that that is the passive tension that you're talking about. And it's still there even when your recruitment is fatigued. So even if you feel like you can do heavy hangs at the end of your session, you're not getting that peak recruitment that's going to make your your numbers go up over time. Am I, am, it's am not I capturing that? Possible. Yes. Yeah. And that is a metabolic kind of stress. And like, so when you build fatigue in the session, we got like, you could tell your your power was down. So like at the end of the session, we're like, like hitting those small holds. You're like, oh, it feels pretty good. And we were feeling like great. And then at the end, we're like, yeah, my fingers are done. Like I don't have that same snatch. I don't have that same high velocity contraction and I can't produce that same force. Mm-hmm. So the coordination goes down. So like that is a concentric 
muscle response. Mm -hmm. So when you build a little fatigue, the actual shortening velocity of the muscle fibers goes down. So you lose coordination immediately, right? Mm -hmm. So when I go test them in a concentric way, my numbers are down, my force is down, my muscles cannot produce the same amount of force they did before. But when I go do an eccentric thing, the eccentric types of contractions are not negatively influenced by that kind of metabolic stress and fatigue because I just hang on my connective tissues. I just, I load muscle, but I also add 50% more capacity to every fiber because I load that connective tissue on the end. But what's the point of that training session? Like we just did it for fun just because like that's a really easy way to be like, what? That doesn't make any fucking sense, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And it shouldn't to people because it, from like a training adaptation standpoint, that makes no sense to do. Like, just don't just do that. Don't like hang it at the out. end of your session. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. It doesn't make any sense, right? And mm -hmm. like, you could probably, we could probably strength train and my numbers would probably be fine. Like with Bench weights, pressing, you mean, yeah, deadlifting, yeah. because climbing is not that hard on those muscles. Right. But it's really hard on your fingers if you're trying hard, mm -hmm. right? And so Especially it kind of it very easily like highlights the difference and how that's, you know, how that influences our training and the adaptations from that training. But even with like sessions, like if we did, I did two sessions in a row, which is not normal for me. I'll bet if I checked my strength tomorrow, and that's another cool reason to have one of those Tindec tools is like you could measure your fingers every day. Like I hit 131 today. If I couldn't hit like over 90 tomorrow, my fingers probably are still fatigued. I probably shouldn't train. And mm -hmm. I wouldn't train three days in a row, but like that's another way to use that tool. Mm -hmm. But I could still do a 20 mil hang tomorrow. Mm. So it's like understanding what the fuck is going on is really my intention with challenging fingerboarding. Not to say that it doesn't work. It's yeah. just like, we got to look at it more critically. Right. Most athletes would warm up do their one arm hang and think like, sick, third day on, I still feel strong, let's go. For sure, I can definitely do it tomorrow, but right. that doesn't mean it's a good idea to do it. Yeah, totally, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. It's fascinating, man. <laughs> it's, I mean, I love like, I love, the, I love the trying to understand it, really what's going on at the like muscular level from the physiology, because that's like my background, like I really am interested in that and that hasn't really been explored that mm -hmm. well in climbing. So like, hopefully this is like, not like people aren't, you know, at home crying about this because they shouldn't be. It's just yeah. like the way science works. And apparently other people, cause I stay the fuck away from Reddit. Cause it's like, I've heard bad things and people hate me on Reddit for some reason. But like the, the point of like changing things, cause I've changed my opinion like over time too. It's like, that's normal. If you're not changing yeah. your fucking opinion, you're not learning anything new. Man, I interviewed Bechtel, Steve Bechtel, in my first year of the podcast and I was complimenting him and telling him like, the thing I really appreciate you is you just, you know, you're you're willing to change your mind. And it's confusing for people sometimes because they want to say like, well, you said this two years ago and now you're saying this and it's different. And he was like, look, another synonym for changing your mind is learning. Right. <laughs> I was just right, like, right. oh shit, that's kind of a sick mic drop right there. Like for that's, sure. I'd never thought about it that way, but of course it is. And um, and yeah, if you have picked a camp and just stuck with it forever, like that, uh, that's, that's crazy. That's not growth. You're, you're not adapting and, and evolving at all. Um, so yeah, I appreciate that. Um, and it, it can be confusing when you're like putting out content that's, that's kind of like evergreen, right? Like people are still listening to your old podcast and then your new right. podcast and they, they do get confused, but, um, but they can also go along on that learning journey with you. 
Um, okay, as a way of making this kind of more tangible, like to give people an example of like what different climbers should could could work on and how to think about all this stuff and how to implement it in their life. Um, I think it would be really fun to get your advice uh, for me. I'm about to go to Waco. And then I think it'd be really fun to flip the, you know, flip the script and hear about your summer in Squamish hmm. and what you learned from that oh, and yeah, kind yeah, of cool. the, the two takeaways there. What do you have for your tools when you're for your trip? You have I so, on level edge. Yep, I'll be I'll be in the van. Um, I have all sorts of like kind of um, portable hangboards. You know, like I've got a bunch of different edge sizes and stuff. Um, I've got some kettlebells. I've got a tin deck. Um, I can go to the gym there, sessions climbing in El Paso. Um, I'll be there for a couple months and I usually climb like no more than, definitely no more than four days a week, usually only three days a week in Waco because the days are so long. Right. And like we've talked about, I think I'm kind of guessing what you're going to tell me. I think one of the best things I could probably do this season is just have shorter, more focused days. Um, but yeah, if my goal is, I mean, I want to send some things, but I, I, I really like to train in Waco because it's, it's kind of my favorite place in the world for this. Like you can have an incredible amount of fun and send really cool things. And it feels like you're training on a board. Like it feels like you're just in a gym, like getting really good quality board climbing or whatever, you know, like you, right. I always finish two months in Waco, like stronger than before, which is just a really good feeling. Stronger than before, more better at the skills. Yeah, but like so, like more more applicable. But the timing is better. The efficiency is better. Yeah, but I mean, beyond that, like you know, I'll hit a finger strength PR, and I'll also like you know, after after one season in Waco, I did a one arm pull up. I hadn't been doing any pull ups, but just from climbing in Waco for two months, I did. You've never done it before. I hadn't done it in years at that point. Oh. Yeah, so stronger, you know, in in some in some like relevant ways that translates to all the other climbing I do. Um, but yeah, what, do you have any guidance for me? Like do a similar type of warm up before I go climbing and hit that one rep max on my projecting days? Like, is that an important piece here? Should I do any other supplemental wrist wrench, talon grip, recruitment based finger training at all? Or yeah, what are, you, what are your thoughts? I would probably warm your hand up like that every time, like before your climbing sessions. Like we did today. Yeah. Like... That's what I would do for sure. As long as it's not like too big of a pain to like have all those things, right? Like that can be kind of a, a pain in the ass is carrying all these things to warm up, right? It's kind of get silly, but certainly getting, keeping those muscle, that those muscle recruitment levels high is important. And then using the gym there only if you're doing any strength training stuff. Cause I would say still keeping your pushing and pulling and hip things like high as well with a really low volume will also only help you sustain your efforts while you're there for those two months. You know, you have to keep your hip, your hips and your shoulders and your chest, shoulder tissues stiff so you can apply force. Because like that stiffness that you get from strength training allows the muscle to shorten or allows the joint to close at the speed of the muscle. And so the muscle is the most trainable thing with a sport. And so like latching holds and grabbing them is mostly like a concentric thing at the beginning. And if I have stiff tissues, I can I can make that happen quicker. So your contact strength will stay high by doing that. Okay. Right. And so other body parts. And then like being being thoughtful about 
what you do during your sessions. Like some sessions are going to be longer than others, just naturally. That's not that big of a deal. Take longer recovery, take more recovery mm. days. Like you just have to do that. But when you have those, and on average, the sessions might be short, the ones that are really focused, but other days you're going to like try hard and climb and friends are going to be there and it's going to be long and you're mm -hmm. going to be wasted. That's okay, but take two days off after that. Yeah. Then go back and try it again. But don't climb on the next day. Yeah. Because that fatigue that you accumulate just slowly builds and it will mm -hmm. build slowly over the trip. And at the end of the trip, you're not going to be as productive as you were at the beginning, unless the goal is to just do a whole bunch of volume. The Waco downward spiral. Which is totally normal. <laughs> yeah. And people try and yeah. like fight it in all sorts of weird ass ways. It's like that's normal. It's, you know what? I mean, this goes back to what you said a little bit ago. It's the opposite of discipline or or it, it it is discipline, but applied in the opposite direction of how we normally think about it. Like we normally think of discipline as like waking up early and going to train. But um, it is so hard in Waco to only climb three days a week, let alone yeah. less than that, you know, let like let alone only trying hard two days a week and having a third easy day. Like there's so much social pressure to climb so much more than that. Everyone thinks you're being weird. Everyone thinks you're blowing it. Everyone wants to go climbing with you. Like it's, it's really hard. I've struggled with it every season so far. I always intend to climb less than I end up climbing. And, uh, and, and yeah, I think it keeps me from getting as much strength or, or just even coordination and, and improvement out of the trip as I could. It's yeah, it's tough. So yeah, it's hard to do. That's the goal I'm setting myself for this it year definitely is to hard just, to do. just be smart is what it comes down to. Yeah. Being, being <laughs> listening to my body. Yeah. Matters, matters both ways. You know, it's like listening to your body is something you like, I've had to learn that the hard way over the years with my hip. Like, but I know now that I just can't do the amount of volume of things that I want to do because I just ends in things that last too long to go away. And then long-term big picture, it's not like what I want out of my life because it just like is hard on people, right? So like mm -hmm. if you have a repetitive, and this is maybe for people with repetitive injuries, those repetitive injuries, they're so repetitive because there's some something about the mechanics that predisposes that to happening. And that happening regularly, you know, over years is like a, is like a training, is like a, is like a homeostasis thing. It's like a whole body capacity thing. Your body has a finite amount of stuff it can tolerate, but all the sleeping and the diet and social stress, all that adds to your body's ability to recover. So it's very complicated to understand, but doing lots of volume for sure opens that door for those things to come back too. So like from an injury standpoint, I've kind of had to learn that low volume, high intensity, high frequency is the best option for myself, you know, um, and sometimes I'll push it really hard and longer and I can get away with that as long as I like am very respectful of like that recovery window mm. and then it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. But it took me a long ass time to figure that out, mm -hmm. <laughs> which is like super annoying, right? Yeah. I also, I, I still think, I don't know, maybe I'm just built different than a lot of the people that I climb with on trips and stuff. Like I, I marvel at how much people climb, like people climb so much. It's crazy. Um, and I think they're all tired all the time. I think they all could climb harder than they do. And they're just like always carrying fatigue and like pushing through it, you know? <laughs> but um, yeah, like, I don't know. I, I was in, I was just in Leavenworth for a chunk of time before coming here. And uh, because I was working on the house and, you know, busy with other things, 
for the last like three or four weeks of my climbing season, I was trying God is in the details and I was literally climbing twice a week, sometimes once a week. I would like climb and then rest for six days just because I was busy. No, nothing. Like maybe doing like a no hangs workout, you know, like 10 minutes of easy hangboarding, like once in there, once or twice in there, but literally not doing anything, not going to the climbing gym, not lifting weights, like not doing anything. And then I would go out a week later and like make more progress on my project. And then I went out five days later and sent it. And it was just like, you just don't have to climb that much to at least maintain a really high level. And I think I've always thrived when I'm kind of in this rhythm of like really only trying hard twice a week. And maybe that's just me and my own body, but I feel like I harp on it a lot, but yeah, I'm, I marvel. I think most people try to climb way too hard, way too often. Yeah, for sure. And they get hurt because of it, but their performance is sub submaximal, suboptimal because of it as well. Yeah. Like animals don't do that. Mm. Like, you know, lions hunt and they eat and they fucking sleep <laughs> until yeah. they're hungry again. Yeah. But they're not out jogging the fucking savanna, <laughs> like jogging the savanna, doing yeah. a bunch of stretching, like... You know, the, the little the little cubs will fucking play with stuff, but they expect mom to bring them food so yeah. they can expend their energy doing stuff. But like mm. their survival is not dependent on it. If our survival was dependent on it, we would try really hard for something. And then we would sit in the shade or in the sun, depending on the season, and would wait it out until mm. we feel 100% ready. And then we would go do that again. You know, but like we think as humans that we're like so superior and we know so much and we can like do so much more, but it... That doesn't make any sense to me. Mm. That never has made sense to me. So I think less is more always. And that's been the approach that people talk about, but it's hard. It's like simple, but it's not easy. It's simple to, as an idea and a theory, but it's not easy to apply. Yeah. Because it's fun to do things. And people assume that they're getting this big stress relief because we sit all day and we want to go move, which is great. But like, I like the idea of having other hobbies for that reason. Because like, if it's always only climbing and stress relief is doing a lot of submaximal climbing. If you really care about getting better, that's not helping you. That's like hurting you. It's making you more tired. How do you make sense of, you know, Alex Magos and Adam Andra training six days a week when, when they're in like a heavy training phase? I mean, obviously they've been doing it since they were four years old and they have like insanely robust tissues and stuff, but like Shouldn't the same theory still apply? Like if they're trying V16s and V17s or 15Ds or whatever, shouldn't they have to rest as much as any of us trying at our own personal max? Like it obviously doesn't work that way. So what's, what's going on there? I don't know that much about like their day-to-day -day training. So I don't really know. I can't like give a good opinion on that. I really don't know. But we certainly know that like humans are different. Animals are different. Like people have different capacities based on their genetics like that's just like that definitely is probably more a genetic thing than anything else because there's no way they're doing that much better of a periodization program or that much better of a training mixed practices that's probably i would say more a genetic thing than anything else hmm. you know and i don't really know how often they get hurt or like i don't really know that much about i don't i personally don't follow professional climbers all that much like you know because i think what they do is so unique to them. I think in a lot of ways, like for individual athletes like that I coach or that get injured, I think those training practices, we can say just kind of flatline or not as sustainable for other people, mm. you know, like for what it's worth, that's, 
but I really don't. I'm, I really don't know what their training looks like. Okay. Know, overall, that's fair. Interesting. All right. So yeah. So take away from me for Waco. Don't climb too much, and then do the kind of try the kind of warm up that we did today. Um, I'm going to try using the unlevel edge a little bit more consistently, or just a bigger edge um, than I usually use. And then uh, maybe I'll mix in the wrist wrench. I think I have one. I'll pick up some kettlebells with it before I go to the park or something. Cool. You know, when I'm at my campsite. Um, and you can even do that in the van and have 30, 45 minutes between. It's fine. Mm, okay. Like the thing that the thing that won't that you don't want to like start doing before you warm up a little bit more for if there's that gap is like hard crimpy things on your fingers. You don't want to do that and then take 30 or 40 minutes. No, and go do that again. No, that's probably not a good idea. You want to do it a little bit slower. You definitely want to get the tissues a little bit more exposed to that stress. But like the big hand muscle things, those things are fine to just start loading. Hmm. But the small grabbing on a sharp crimps, you want to do that on the wall with your feet, you know, a little bit more strategic than just like going and ripping on your project on small holds okay. after that break. Okay. Interesting. Um, what did you learn this summer from your trip to Squamish? Let's dive into that. Oh yeah. So it's just a, it was an easy trap for athletes to fall into. Like with, you know, I mentioned weekend warriors, like I say that I'm a weekend warrior, but like I can climb whenever I want when the weather's good locally, you know? And so kind of left like fallen into the trap of, I love board climbing and I'm a better board climber than rock climber because rock climbing requires, especially hard bouldering, requires more hip flexibility and like more like just body positioning things, which are really hard with my hip. And yeah, you have hip dysplasia for people that <laughs> yeah, don't so I had remember that. Hip dysplasia. So like my, I have a cam impingement, like three labral tears, like my hip's pretty trashed. But for people listening, it's like the picture looks bad. The report looks bad. The symptoms are not that bad as long as I don't like do too much volume or a lot of sit start hard boulders like the moon board is hard on my hip because some of those boulder starts are just really hard. And a lot of that repetitively gets sore. So like, but I was training on the TB2, which I love and was doing hard boulders there and went to Squamish and just got destroyed. Like did not perform well, was not comfortable putting weight through my toes, was not comfortable getting high above the ground and trusting my hands. Like things that I, like I was a trad climber for a long time and like Used to, no, that was like, love that stuff, right? But since I've been, you know, went to graduate school and had kids and like my life is not about me, it's about like providing, you know, for the, my family. But like essentially long story short, I like spent too much time not working on the skills, the literal skills that I should have. And it was so obvious there, you know, that just like, just my footwork was not precise. Like I just knew things were off and that was my fault. And knowing, but it was the summer here before I went in August. And so it was like hot. Mm. So the mistake that I made was like, it's hot outside. It's not good for climbing. I'm just going to train inside. But what I should have done was like go outside and make sure I get that skill on granite, you know, here. Just because it's kind of like Squamish. It's not the same, but it's pretty similar. And then so when I got home from that trip, I like canceled my gym memberships. Like only climbed outside since then. Even it was still hot in August, I would go do easy boulders that I've never done. Mm. I would go do high ball boulders that I've never done. Things that were still like a great skill development thing, but like weren't at my limit. And then when the season got colder, I was able to send things at my limit, mm. like just like I would before. And so really it was 
myself falling into the trap of not prioritizing the outdoor skill because the outdoor skill is so much different than the indoor skill, regardless of the board and the setup, even granite holds like that is not the same thing as climbing outside, mm-hmm. you know? So like falling into the mistake of not prioritizing that enough was like my mistake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I think it's interesting because we're, I think we're kind of opposite. Like I grew up climbing in Leavenworth, not grew up, but you know, from 18 years old on, like that was my foundation. And, uh, and I've always climbed more outside than inside. So I'm a much worse board climber. And I feel like, like one of my goals for this next year is to just spend more time on a board period. Like any, any board doesn't matter. Like moon board, kilter, tension, spray wall, anything. Um, but it always seems to help because it takes away all of my tricks that I rely on a right, lot, right, right. you know, but then as soon as I go back outside, I have those tricks and I can use right. them and I just have stronger fingers usually. Um, but yeah, it makes sense. I think a lot of people these days are more like you and in the opposite boat where they live in a city, they climb on a board all the time and they're crazy strong. And then they just don't have a ton of time to go rock climbing. So when they do, it's, you know, it's just like, damn, this is a different animal. It Those really footholds is. are small. <laughs> and especially if they want to like climb at their limit. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to climb at your limit, you go outside, you're like, wow, this isn't even like close to what it feels like what I'm used to, right? Like, so then they go out and they have to do submaximal stuff, which like I think a lot of people maybe don't get the transfer that they expect from their training because the skills are just not matched and they just, you're not going to get that direct transfer unless you have those skills. Mm-hmm. You know, and like, it's it's interesting how much that will not transfer between inside and outside. Like, and so that's was the same Jesse's experience. Like, so good at the outside stuff. He needed to like focus on things that he doesn't get from out there. Mm-hmm. And like everything like went up. Well, yeah. Mine was the opposite. Less stuff in here, more stuff out there. Everything goes up. Mm-hmm. So it's like people aren't the same. So people don't need the same thing. So like holistically, and that's the hard thing about prescriptions for do this finger strength training program, you're going to be sick. Like, <laughs> I don't know who you are. If I do, then I'll give my prescriptions. But more broadly, it's just harder to do for people because mm-hmm. we're all so damn different. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, tell me more about what you're excited about these days, the campus board stuff and the speed stuff. And like, is there a question that you want to answer or a, a series of questions that... Yeah, I'm in, driving this. I'm, yeah, I'm interested in like maybe why people are so emotionally attached to the campus board. Like people will like stick up for the campus board tooth and nail like they will for the fingerboard because it's kind of a historic thing. And, the, you know, the heroes of the climbing past did it and they're fucking awesome. They did it and people still do it this day. Like... But like, what what is it really doing? Like, is it really increasing people's power output? I would say no. I would say it's more of a strength training tool. I think we mentioned maybe here we talked about it. If you're holding on to the bottom with no feet and you make a move with no feet, on average you're applying more strength, more force to your one hand than you would if you were hanging with two hands. So there's a little bit of like contract, relax stuff. But on average, before people started adding a lot of weight, that was an increase in intensity. But really understanding 
what's called impulse and rate of force development and what that really looks like on the campus board. My argument is that the campus board with the feet off is just a slow pull up on your fingers. Mm. It's not that fast, so it's not really an increase in power. And it's like it really might limit like the rate of force development that develops on the fingers is not well studied in relation to like what that looks like. So that's kind of like the next rabbit holing in our mm-hmm. rundown. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah. I've I, I've always felt like like I thought it was interesting. I think it was maybe Steve Bechtel was the first person that I heard talk about campusing as not a great power training tool for climbing, you know, because it's too slow. It's like too heavy and, and too hard and too slow to be technically a good power exercise. Like you should be doing box jumps or or even just jumping on the campus board with your feet kicking off, you know. And that made sense to me, but I always felt like, well, campusing feels more similar actually to really hard bouldering than doing a big jump on the campus board with my feet driving, you know, like we're, we're rarely moving super fast on the climbing wall or on rock, I should say. Um, and really it feel, if you're doing a really hard, powerful move, there's like that really slow moment where you're like, like frozen in space and time, like just like barely holding on, you know, and then you like pull up a few inches and reach up with your arm. And that's how you're getting to the next hold. It's not that you're like throwing your body upwards, you know, unless you're dynoing or something. Um, so I thought that was interesting, but, but, I, but I also hear what you're saying just as far as contact strength, if that's what we're talking about, as far as power goes, it makes sense that it's not the fastest way to practice latching things. Um, I don't know if you saw this, but I thought it was interesting. Emil Abrahamson just did like a lattice training assessment with those guys, you know, and they did his critical force and they tested his uh, rate of force development and his max finger strength and all these things. And he was, he kind of ended up being exactly the opposite of what he thought and what I would think he would do well at. He had a really good critical force. He had kind of like normal or average finger strength for his size. And then his rate of force development was really bad, like really, I shouldn't say bad, really slow. Um, but he campuses all the time. He's done like one five nine on the campus board, you know, and you'd think like he should be pretty good at that. So that kind of shows like, I mean, that's an N of one, that's just one person, but um, clearly doing one five nine on the campus board doesn't mean you have the ability to fire really fast in your, in your fingers. So. And it just means they have really long arms too. Yeah. Like I will never be able to do that. <laughs> yeah, right? yeah. Like, and so like, that's, that's another thing is like, people have this like one, five, nine, like I'm going to get good at doing that. Like if people want to do that, that is totally fine. But that is a skill that you are learning. That is not your sport. Mm-hmm. So the other question is like, if like, you know, hitting hold, like, you know, with your feet off, like campusing feels more like like boulder limit moves, like just do boulder limit moves. Mm. Like, why do I need a board with flat edges to, increase my transfer for power to my sport when I could just do my sport. Mm -hmm. It's just confusing. I think the campus board is the most fucking confusing tool (laughs) in the climbing world. Mm. Because I don't think it does any of the adaptations that people think that it does. The only thing that I think it's good for is like boring up-down laddering just because it's consistent and it's the same damn thing. So I think building capacity on it is just easy. But if I have a tension board and I can do mirrored stuff, like I would do it on the climbing wall any day. The one thing, the one thing I I could see it being good for, 
is doubles, you know, when people like you, you basically dyno without using your feet, you know, between the rungs because you're latching the rungs so hard and fast. I could imagine that being good for contact strength development. Any, so, any thoughts on that? Well, yeah, but when it comes to the load, you have to remember like the rapid eccentric load is still a rapid eccentric load. And so at body weight, if you're hanging at body weight with both arms, you're probably using 50%, you know, like 50, 60% like on that you would use in the finger flexors if you were comparing that to a one rep max. So like, let's use me as an example. Like I can hang on 20 mil edge with one arm. Mm. If I did a campus run with double hands with two arms, I'm not loading that much muscle, mm. actual muscle fibers, because I'm definitely loading some connective tissue. And so when I do that big rapid catch, like the goal with contact strength is like catching, but is like making my concentric rate of force and my impulse increase. So I want to get really efficient and fast at contracting those muscles quickly. Right, And so if I'm doing it in an eccentric way, we assume that that's like increasing that, but we don't really know that. But it's a gigantic load to my pulleys at body weight with both hands. And so the other thing is like there's risks with like just assuming that increasing the intensity is increasing the power output and the speed. Like the easiest parallel I like to give people is like my whole life we would put donuts on the bat. Like make the bat heavier. For baseball, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I did my whole life. Mm -hmm. When they actually researched that in a good way, all they found was that made people's bat speed slow down. Mm -hmm. All it did was make people swing the bat slower. That was not the point. The point was to make it faster. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of people are like, I campus board with a weight vest. That's a strength training intervention. That is not doing anything for your speed of movement your speed of like, or your rate of force of concentric muscle contractions. That's just like making you learn a skill that's slower and heavier than maybe what you're trying to get out of it. Mm. So like those kinds of things are the ones that I'm interested in, like tackling and diving into and getting a bunch of numbers on climbers. And the Tindic is cool. It has a really good rate of force development function now. But I did a recent uh, Instagram post where I measured my, and this was like a research paper that was done in climbing world. They measured the speed at like 90 degrees, like with the body like this, pulling down with max effort on a bar and then pulling as fast as they can and measuring the rate of force. And then they did it on a 20 mil edge. And I did that on myself. And like, I can produce my body weight in force really quickly on a 20 mil edge, which means that when I'm doing a campus board, starting with that, all I'm doing is a pull up on my fingers. Like I can already produce that much force quickly, like, I'm just pulling fast on my elbows, but I'm not really elevating the force on my fingers necessarily. Okay. But like those kinds of things is really what I want to like try and understand better Mm -hmm. for myself, Mm -hmm. for sure. And like, I'll share it with people, but like (laughs) I'm interested because it doesn't make sense to me. And it kind of looks like other parallels that we've used in other sports that now we know are like not good. Like the, not useful. Like the baseball bat The baseball thing. bat, they did that with golfers. They did that with runners. They used to run, like when I was a kid, with fucking parachutes. Mm. Put a parachute behind a runner, make them sprint against the wind. Mm-hmm. That made them slower. Mm. But then when they had athletes run downhill a little bit, they actually increased their contract relax cycles. Athletes got faster running downhill. Mm. And we know now from other like skeleton, like the, like the Olympic sports skeleton, there's a really popular like well-done research paper where they showed athletes that trained at like 60%, which used to be like a power range. 
and tried to get as fast as they could at 60%, they got stronger, but they didn't get faster. So if our goal is to get more contact strength, it really depends on the hand muscles as well, like we talked about, but also concentric like rate of force and impulse. Like doing that at a more at a heavier load doesn't make any sense. Like mm. I will I will like be pretty strong with like there's no way that that's going to make us contract more quickly. That's actually going to increase contact strength than it would if we reduce the intensity. Okay. Because so, campusing with no feet is always more intense in terms of load than with your feet on. Right. But lighter and faster is better for contact strength. Or like using the Tindec and like increasing your rate of force in in that way. So is that what you focus training on Training the now? muscles. Is right. that what you do? For, I haven't done a lot of that just because okay. like I would, I still think using a wall makes the most sense. But like mm -hmm. I'm going to try and explore that with people and see what it looks like. And how important is it? I mean... Does it, I'm imagining it must totally depend on the, you know, the, the style of someone's climbing. Um, but also like if Emil Abrahamson has much slower than average rate of force development for someone who boulders as hard as he does, I mean, he's pretty good at jumping around and like latching holds. So what's happening there? Like, do we need? I don't know what his rate of force that? is. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like... I don't know that there's that many numbers to say that he's below average. Like, mm. I don't really know that climbing has enough data. Enough data. Like, the papers that I've read, there's like three, two or three of them. Okay. And they I think have this like was 15 people each pulling from their data set and comparing him to like, you know, if, he, if he's trying to climb V16, is he there based on the numbers? I think that's what they were looking into. Yeah. So, did they do it like on their digital rung pulling down just mm -hmm. like as quick as they can? Like, yeah. straight arm, 90 degree. Uh, good question. I think either 90 or like partially engaged arm. So I would say, so I'd, I've done this on myself, like with two arms on an edge pulling and then on the tin deck, like standing and curling and pulling fast. Mm -hmm. My RFD of that was like 34 pounds. Like, so again, I would say the contact strength tests that are done with the upper body pulling fast are probably not that indicative of the rate of force development on the finger flexors. Okay. Because it's still a yielding type of isometric. It's still a big muscle pull thing. Sure, it looks more like climbing, but it's like, is it that precise mm. as to like how fast you're grabbing onto a hold? I don't really know. I would say probably not. Okay. So it's 34 pounds. What do you What do you mean by that? Like, so the difference in like the concentric versus the eccentric stuff on the fingerboard. Right. We talked about that already, right? Mm -hmm. With the force, it's very obvious. But with the power, it should be obvious too. Or with the rate of force, should be obvious as well. Mm -hmm. My numbers today were like 131. But then in like 100 milliseconds, which is just the A1, like A time point that we could measure force mm -hmm. at, which is like greater like literature would say that's a meaningful time frame, like mm -hmm. as like a metric. Like my... Force within 100 milliseconds was 34 pounds. I see what you're saying. Okay. Like really small. Mm -hmm. So like making that go up a little bit more, I would say I need to like be more focused with that if I want that to increase than just like swinging around on my fingers. What is that 100 milliseconds based on? It's just like a time frame for like generating something called impulse. So it's like the force in this amount of time. And then a power output is, or a velocity is the force divided by the time. But you can't really measure velocity on the fingers because the range of motion is just so small. Mm -hmm. 
right? So we will use rate of force development, but that's something that I want to explore. And I don't know the time frame that Lattice used for their rate of force development for Emil and the positions that they used. I would say, I don't know. I don't. I don't think those metrics are that sensitive. I don't like that they like try and categorize people based on, you know, mm. it just does just kind of messy. I think yeah, it's messy. yeah. Okay. I think it, it makes wasn't. people feel bad <laughs> or feel they feel bad either way. <laughs> Right, like I would feel great based on the strength numbers, but then I would feel bad because I'm not climbing as hard. Mm. But then other people will be like, I yeah, feel, I, I, I always feel, feel awful with my fucking numbers, but my climbing is way good. Right, I always feel bad because my <laughs> finger strength scores are low, but so I'm, you're feel I'm happy with way. my climbing. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's funny. Interesting. Um, and like, no, like crack on them. I love those guys, and like, yeah, they, they try like. Like they're the people that kind of spearheaded the idea of collecting things. And I think it's awesome. But it's like, and they know that too. When I chat with Tom, it's like, it's messy and it's hard and they get a lot of shit for it too, you know, but they're just like everyone else trying to push the sport and get people individually better, you know, mm-hmm. it's all that people are trying to do. So definitely mm-hmm. respect for those guys. I yeah, for do sure. a lot of like education for the, their coaches too. Cool. That's awesome. Do you still work with clients directly? Yeah. And are you working with people who are just trying to pursue hard climbing goals? Or are you doing more like, do you do more like rehab and I would say probably stuff? 80%, 85% of my work is rehab. Like okay. I spend more time ultrasounding fingers is why like I'm so interested in fingers. And it's just like I spend a lot of time talking with people that are injured, have injured fingers. And then as a direct consequence, I just like, they fill out an intake form, like, what does your training look like? And that's what we talk about for an hour. And I just hear the same things over and over and over, right? And at some point, you're like, these things definitely are why people are getting hurt. What are those things? They're climbing volume, for too sure. Much, too, too much, much climbing. climbing volume. Too much training period. That would be supplemental training. Like, too much, too much strict and rigid finger training protocols. Too much of the exact same too thing. Too much thinking that there's something magic about a 20 mil edge. Too much overloading the fingers with really fucking heavy weights when they're tired and they don't know it. Mm. So like all of the rationale for why I'm like interested in critiquing these things is because that's what like is part of the reason that athletes get hurt. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it's not that I hate fingerboarding. It's just that it there it we just have to be more thoughtful about how we're trying to, you know, do it or strength train the fingers so we don't just run into the same injury kind of cycles, mm-hmm. right? That just happens so commonly. And like transitioning between seasons inappropriately. Mm. Like you climb outside all, you know, fall and summer, and then it gets cold and people just go right to a board. But we already talked about boards way harder on the fingers. Yeah. I know, I've, you know, she's probably talked with 30 people just in December that have had pulley ruptures just going to a board too quickly mm. after the season. Just jumping around on boards, just like yeah. just a new kind of stress that you're fatigued what, from already, you know, it's just like yeah. risky. What should they do? Just like a slower ramp up to it, you know, nothing nothing terribly complex? Yeah, no, I don't think there's anything fancy. There's no yeah. preventative things. Like you have to know that the session is going to be more intense on your fingers and you can feel that. Mm-hmm. Like end your session when you're tired, when your power goes down. Mm. It's like really that easy. But Is you it okay to try hard right away? Like Sure. Can, if okay. you've been trying hard outside, I yeah. do. 
you know, for me, whatever. Even works. though the intensity on the fingers is is maybe significantly higher than what you've been doing. And people know they they can tell. They just yeah. don't listen to that feedback. Like learning to listen to the feedback from your body is so valuable. Okay. You know, and they'll yeah. like see a power loss, but they'll just like so think about your outdoor sessions. You go outside for five six hours in a session, right? And you do you know, five different things, you know, you get kind of tired and you're like pretty psyched. You go to the gym, you're like, okay, I got 90 minutes. Let's do the same amount of volume. Mm-hmm. Like the density just goes through the roof, mm-hmm. right? So you try and fit in the same number of things in a quarter of the time. Yeah. Like that's way more risky. You know, your tissues just don't recover from that stuff as well. Mm. And then the rigidity of the scheduling also is a problem. It's hard to do outside Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Monday, because the weather doesn't cooperate. Mm-hmm. But inside, it's really easy to do that, right? But your body doesn't recover from that. So that's like a mm. training volume thing accumulates because we try and think that these are the days that we have to train. These are the days we fit it in. This is what happens. That also gets people hurt. That makes sense. Yeah. So that's the majority of what I do. People that usually do like training for me, they want like more like like I send all the technical skills things to Jesse now, which is great. Like, but people that want like organization and like how to structure things and when to fit these things in kind of stuff is what I do for individual clients. But most of the like, most of my work is rehab. And we will be right back. I want to take a minute to talk to all you coaches out there and any gym owners who are tuning in. And you know what? I'm also talking to climbers, particularly those of you who want to level up your game. I see you, and I've got something I want to share with you today. The PCC is back. Join us March 11 through 13 for our highly anticipated Performance Climbing Coach Summit. This is the first in-person event since 2020, and it's going to be awesome. This event is for coaches, gym owners, and climbers eager to advance their training and performance, elevate your coaching skills and practical climbing knowledge with hands-on training sessions and lectures with some of the most knowledgeable coaches in our industry. This year's event is stacked, you guys. Check this out. We've got Steve Bechtel, Alex Bridgewater, Callie Joy Blake, Black, Mercedes Palmire, and Jesse Firestone presenting at this year's event. All of those people have been on the podcast, and for good reason. These folks are amazing coaches, all with their unique area of expertise. This event is going to be packed full of nuggets. And if you attend, you will receive a certificate of completion that will look great on your resume if you are a coach. The dates again are March 11th through 13th, 2024 at Sport Rock Performance Institute in Alexandria, Virginia. This PCC falls on the heels of the USA Climbing Team Trials, that's March 5th through 8th, and the Paraclimbing Nationals, that's the 9th and the 10th, also being hosted by Sport Rock. So it's a perfect opportunity for any coaches or climbers attending these events. So check it out. You can register today by going to www.performanceclimbingcoach.com. Hit register now to sign up and use code NUGGET at checkout to save 10% off your ticket. Early bird pricing is going on until January 28th. So if you sign up now, you'll get that 10% off. Plus, you'll save even more by getting that early bird pricing. You can find the link right there in your podcast app. And we hope to see you at the event. 
This episode is brought to you by Fizzy Vantage. I'm guessing a lot of you listen to this podcast because you want to get better at climbing, right? You want those training nuggets. You want to send your proj. Well, guess what? There's only one climbing-specific pre-workout on the market, and that's SendurX from Fizzy Vantage. Sendur X is a rare non-caffeinated pre-workout. Most pre-workouts are all about a big caffeine hit, but not this one. Many pro climbers like to steer clear of excessive caffeine because of the jitters and anxiety it can cause, which is not helpful if you're trying to send your proj. Sendurex active ingredients, beetroot extract and citrulline malate, work by increasing circulation and oxygen kinetics. There's a ton of research showing the value of these substances for improving power endurance in repeated sprint sports and aerobic capacity in many endurance events. Most climbers genuinely feel a difference when consuming Sendur X. I think this stuff is especially helpful for pumpy sport climbing, but even if you're a boulderer, you're occasionally going to try a long boulder and you're gonna get pumped and you'll get less pumped with Sendur X. So check it out. If you would like to feel the Fizzy Vantage, head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off any full-priced nutrition product. That's NUGGET15 at checkout, and you can find a direct link to this coupon right there in your podcast app. And now, back to the show. Okay, transitioning seasons. This is interesting and it's relevant to me right now. So I'm, like I said, I'm about to go down to Waco. Um, my volume for the last couple of months has been very low because I was working on the house. What makes more sense? Like I have these hard things picked out that I want to try. Would it make more sense to start trying them immediately, but try them just for very short sessions and keep my kind of climbing volume low to begin with and slowly build it a little bit? Or would, would it be better to just start with easier climbing and not go try the V11 until I'm like a few weeks into the trip or, or whatever, you know, until I'm like a few sessions in and start to feel myself kind of like come back up to that that kind of level. Does that question make yeah, sense? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's yeah. a great question. I think it depends on the proximity of that project to other stuff. And I know Waco is really dense and there's lots, mm -hmm. but I would say it's okay to go to that project and like grab on those holds and lift your feet off the ground and mm. figure out the beta. But I wouldn't start projecting it yet. No okay. fucking way. Yeah. Like you'll get hurt. If you do that a couple of days in a row, like that's too risky, I would think. It's not worth it. I would climb other things, but I would definitely go check that thing out. And I would mm -hmm. definitely go get ready to practice Feel some it. holds, hold some positions. Yeah, maybe do moves, find what's the crux move. Like you got to figure that stuff out because that's still and probably more like important from a tactic standpoint than just like going and ripping on it. Like you got to figure out what it is if you haven't done it before. Mm -hmm. You got to find out all the subtleties, how you might do it, watch people climb it. I think there's good value in that. But I wouldn't just go in hard trying to project the whole thing. I would definitely go do 75% things, you know, like things that you know are less risky that you should that you can do. Start developing some fitness there, you know, let the pulleys get loaded a bit, full cram, get your skin conditioned. Then like week two, well, I mean week three after a couple of weeks, maybe not that long. It depends. Like then I would go try it. Okay. But I wouldn't great. just run out there and do it. Cause right now you're you're strong. Like I just watched you climb on my board and it's like kind of hard. Like your fingers are strong, but they don't have the capacity probably that you're going to need to climb at your limit Yeah. right now. Like they are strong and stiff because they haven't been loaded as frequently. So you want to build in 
some of that cushion so you can go put some hard efforts into it. What happens there physiologically? That's fascinating because my fingers, you know, the, the tendons themselves probably aren't, well, yeah, they're certainly not going to change in like a two week period, you know, compared to like the last 15 years. So when I'm like going from an untrained couple months where I've been not climbing that much to ramping up to be able to climb at my limit in Waco, what physiologically needs to change in the in the connective tissues? Is it a de-stiffening? Is it just important that they like kind of loosen up and become less stiff? And does that make them less injury prone? Like, how is it that they can get more capacity in two weeks? There's not a ton of like science on tendons, period, right? The, the There's some hypotheses as to what happens. Probably the one that makes the most sense is you get, you will get, your tendons will be a little bit more tolerant of having a little bit more stretch. So they're not going to get like elastic, but they're going to tolerate elastic behavior a little bit more like than they did if you, when you weren't grabbing on and like catching and falling away, but catching yourself. Mm -hmm. So in addition to the connective tissues, your muscles have to learn and have to tolerate more eccent, rapid eccentric stretching. So you hit a hold and you hit a hold and you fall away and you catch it. Mm -hmm. That falling away is the rapid eccentric stretching. That as well needs to like, you need to condition that a little bit. Mm -hmm. When it comes to the pulleys, like we would assume that the stiffness like will change a little bit. It'll become a little bit less stiff with allow a little bit more of an elastic response, but that will take some time to just happen. But it won't take a ton of time. A couple of weeks is probably plenty of time. Okay. You know, and then your strength training, but you don't want it to be full, like too elastic because then you'll lose power output, right? So like that's one of the things that happens with a long season. Athletes lose power over a season, partly because the connective tissues lose stiffness and then they can't have the same like contractile speed that actually closes the joint at the, at the speed of the muscle. Hmm. So they lose that high-end power output thing. And that comes from connective tissue, but also muscular fatigue. But we don't really know that much about connective tissues. That's all like pretty new territory for mm. sure. <laughs> yeah, it'll be so interesting to see. I mean, climbing's come so far in the last decade. It'll be fascinating to see what happens in the next like, And that's 10 not years. even climbing research. That's research. Inge okay, gotcha. And yeah, most yeah. of that research is done on the Achilles and the knee. Mm. The Achilles tendon and the patellar tendon, which like... Like when I was in graduate school, that's what I did my like master's thesis on was patellar tendinopathy, which is super common. Mm -hmm. And so we apply the same ideas that we learn from that to other structures, but they're not the same structures. Uh-huh. Like like the protocol that was originally designed to manage Achilles tendinopathy and knee tendinopathies load a ton, but those tendons are huge. Like the finger ligaments are fucking small mm -hmm. by comparison. So it's like no one really knows. So it's kind of trying to extrapolate in a conservative way, you know, but using the same ideas, but there's a lot of unknowns there for sure. Mm -hmm. No one's voluntarily opening up their finger to take out their pulley to look at on a histology <laughs> sample. Mm -hmm. that, that's not going to happen. <laughs> right, right, right. Are our tendons and ligaments in our fingers getting thicker and more robust over the course of our climbing careers? Like, are they changing? Uh, they probably change in the, they have qualitative change, not quantitative change. Okay. So like the quality of them will change. 
like the ground substance, the water content, the connections to each other, like the lateral force transmission in the tendon, those things can change with good training practices, plenty of dietary, like just normal dietary choices, plenty of rest, mm -hmm. like just good healthy loading behaviors, they will become more, they will be, they will have qualitative changes, but not, they won't get bigger. Okay. Kids tendons, that's why kids crush adult projects. They will, theirs will, mm. theirs will be bigger. Their tendons will be thicker. Their volar plates will be thicker. Their pulleys will be thicker. And this probably happens to some degree in, like I For measure adults. a lot of, well, on the ultrasound, I measure a lot of thick pulleys, but those are injured pulleys. Those aren't, mm. those aren't like stronger because they have more capacity pulleys. Those are injured pulleys that have gotten thicker because right. of scar tissue. Right. The, your body lays down scar tissue and then you remodel it, but it's a different type of collagen. Yeah, yeah. that's not so the same thing as having a bigger tissue like a kid would. Got it. Like if you look at the Achilles tendon of a runner, their Achilles tendon cross-sectional area will be greater than a non-runner. But that's not that they have like such bigger connective tissues, they've injured their connective tissues with all of the strain behaviors with running. It's so bounce, bounce, bounce. It's just so low intensity, high volume, repetitive strains that breaks down collagen, that injures collagen, that makes it scar back down as like a buffer for tolerating more stuff long-term. But I that's mean, not the same adaptive changes as mm, like a thicker tissue. I see, okay. Really. Interesting. That's a lot, people will be like, what? <laughs> what the fuck are they talking? So where where does our go back and listen to all that? Where does our long term finger strength come from? Like the finger strength that you build over, you know, for me, like the finger strength that I've built over the last decade from being probably, let's see, ten years ago, I was probably like a V six or V seven climber, maybe even below that in terms of like if I was climbing on your board, I probably could only climb V four a decade ago. You know, my fingers are definitely way stronger than they were. And it builds season on season on season. Is that all recruitment? Is that all muscular recruitment? And no, no, that's probably stiffness. Okay, for sure in the in the connective tissues. That's like coordination. Mm -hmm. You're like you know your brain knows how to create force when your joints are in those particular positions. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of it. Like because your ability to get stronger is not meaningful unless you get coordinated at grabbing onto small holds. Basically you're learning, you're learning. For how sure. To... You learn like in the session, the mm -hmm. learning is cool. And the actual learning, the motor learning research for sports is non-existent. Mm. Like what researchers do is they take away all the other possibilities for why athletes get better at a thing. And when there's nothing left, they're like, that must be coordination. Because <laughs> if because athletes mm. get better at a skill without physically producing more force in their muscle, that's a coordination adaptation. Got it. But we, like, don't, we don't really understand what's happening there. No, but we know from other motor learning research and people pull from that, which is great. Like you learn something really quickly and the feedback that you get that's positive, you learn more. Mm. So that's why like climbing under fatigue state is not a good idea just at all because you're not learning anything that you want to remember that your brain really is going to remember. Mm. So I'd say a big part of it's probably just like you spending more time getting good at grabbing on smaller holds and getting good at putting your body in a position that allows you to access smaller holds. Mm -hmm. There's definitely a recruitment component to your fingers and there's definitely like a bony connective tissue change of stiffness that you can tolerate that more. Mm -hmm. But that takes time to develop, right? People try and fast track gym climbing to like board climbing to small finger edge training, they get hurt because it takes time to develop all of that stuff. Yeah, that makes sense. Thinking long game is a good idea though. 
for sure. Yeah, yeah. Because it also, now that you have it, it won't go away. Like, right. You no. Know, right. Sit around for two months or not climb as much. Yeah. Sit around for five days. You're like, I can still pull really hard. Great. You're not going to lose that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. I mean, one thing that's been cool for me to kind of realize is, you know, I was I was obsessed. I was obsessed with hangboarding for so long. I'm still obsessed with finger strength because it's been my struggle. You know, we were talking about this, like you, you don't really care about it that much because you're just good at it. And it's, you know, but for me, I'm like, I've, I still can't figure it out. I still have like relatively weak fingers. Um, or at least that feels like my limiting factor. I feel like I should have figured this out by now, whatever that means. So I'm still obsessed with it. Um, but what's been cool is I've tried so many different things, all these different hangboard interventions, active flexion, using the tin deck, different types of bouldering, climbing on a spray wall, whatever. And I just kind of seem to get a little stronger every year. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really seem to matter what I'm doing. You know, I just, it, like one of the things that's made maybe the biggest difference is just more consistently climbing on steeper, harder stuff. Right. You know, traveling to Waco and in Rocky Mountain instead of living at Smith Rock. Like Smith, I was certainly better than I am right now at grabbing Small tiny, holds, tiny fucked up holes because sure. that's what I was doing. Um, so that that's kind of neat. It's just like it's it's discouraging because like I wanted to fast track that process. You know, I didn't want to wait for five years to climb V thirteen. I wanted to climb it sooner than that. So I thought if I found the right hangboard thing, it would fast track me to that because it seems like some people do figure that out. Like they find a hangboard intervention that works for them and they just like plug and play and do it and it, and they level up and they climb really hard. And I've never really had that, but I do get a little stronger every year. And, and it's cool because then once you get it, it does really seem like it's locked in. Right. And, um, and it feels, it feels really good. Like my, or, or that's those athletes perception of what happens too. Cause like, like in order to really evaluate whether it was one thing, you have to like evaluate the whole thing. Like how did the training influence the climbing? What else were you doing at that time? You know, so right. there's like so many moving parts mm -hmm. to assume that one thing increases sports performance doesn't make any sense, mm -hmm. right? Like everything kind of adjusts, very shifty in that sense. Where like they maybe did less stuff. They maybe changed their training habits too. Like there's... So many things. We definitely, like we mentioned, can say that recruitment will transfer for sure. But that requires the athletes to have skills too. Mm -hmm. You know, most people that are maybe following, and it's maybe like people that don't have, have never had a training program, right? They never have a training program, hire a training coach. The coach gives them fingerboarding and their program is a little bit more thoughtful and they're recovering better. Fucking sent my project. Mm -hmm. Finger strength for sure. It's like, no, it's not that easy. Like look at everything you did and you changed everything that you did. You recovered better. You had better tactics. Like all of these things are just as important, if not more important than the numbers that you would do like on a fingerboard. Yeah. And so it's like, it's not that easy. It's not easy for anyone to say this thing changed this thing. Mm -hmm. the correlation is not a, not direct with sports performance. Right. The other broader research would say strong getting stronger is not the best pathway for sports performance. It's getting more powerful, creating more impulse, creating... Like you can create either more force in the same time or you can create force more quickly. And the people that can create more force more quickly are the more efficient athlete. That's not climbing specific, right? That's a, no, not that's not climbing research, but that's like broadly for sports yeah. performance. Yeah, yeah. Like the athlete that can do that usually is more efficient. They like 
distribute forces through their body better. They're not as rigid. They're more flowy. That definitely applies to rock climbing, but that's not rock climbing research. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like... I don't know that we'll ever get that sophisticated. Right, Not in my lifetime. But yeah, it's like, that's like Michael Jordan, you know, like he's, he's not the strongest squatter, deadlifter. He's not that strong, but he just has it, right? He just can apply force quicker than someone else in a multi-directional fashion and Mm -hmm. also be really coordinated. It's Mm -hmm. just like beautiful, right? It's like, and professional athletes are like that. Andra, Megos, like they have that same thing, Mm -hmm. but it's just for a different sport. So trying to like assume that like we have to get this one thing to perform like that is very misleading for people. And from my experience, it leads people down the rabbit hole of just literally beating the shit out of their fingers Mm -hmm. for not good enough of a reason. Yeah. I definitely have like fallen into some of that. <laughs> it's, it's hard not to, for yeah. sure. It's yeah. super like super hard not to. I have myself. Yeah. And not and from my finger standpoint, but from other body parts standpoint, for sure. Definitely mm-hmm. happens. Yeah. Okay. So I'm kind of feeling like maybe the global takeaway is um, to give a global recommendation, which might be a bad idea because there's so many different types of climbers listening to this, but it seems like most climbers should spend most of their time and energy on things that are just like the sport, practice like you play, maybe do like a hard version of the sport, like board climbing if you can't get outside on rock. Um, board climbing is also just more similar to most rock climbing than like commercial run and jump gym sets, you know? Yeah, just based on the size of the holds for yeah. sure too. So obviously if you're a comp climber, do whatever you need to do, but um, spend a lot of your time doing that. And then if you want to, supplement with strength training, focus on things that are going to focus on your recruitment while minimizing your risk of injury and minimizing like overusing, over stressing joints and some of the smaller connective tissues. So do more large edge, comfy, active flexion instead of hanging on 10 mil sharp crimps and do more wrist wrench and other types of hand strengthening stuff versus like hammering a bunch of like different versions of crimps on the hangboard or something like that. I would say people that even have strong fingers, like should still strengthen their fingers. So the other question I get a lot is like, how do I know when my finger strength is enough and I don't have to worry about it? I would say <laughs> your finger strength is never going to be enough and you should always worry about it. <laughs> right? yeah. Like not worry about it that you're not doing enough. Worry about it that like it should reduce your injury risk because mm-hmm. the intensity either on a fingerboard or curling something or pulling on something is way more intense than rock climbing is. And so the research that we have in other sports for ACL injuries shows there's some sort of protective benefit simply by the exposure to that stimulus, that stress. Mm. That intensity for some reason has some protective benefit to connective tissue. So that's why when people hangboard, they, because a lot of people start hangboarding just for like protective resilience, right? They, that was my experience. Like when I started hangboarding, I felt way less injury prone. For with sure. My fingers. Hanging on a fingerboard, even a body weight for most people is more intense of a load than rock climbing. Your tissues getting that stimulus should allow them to tolerate more lower intensity stimuli for greater, mm-hmm. right? It's just like, yeah. and, and the, the science that's been done there is on the ACL, but they show that there's like four different programs different strength training programs that athletes would do before their sport that had the same protective benefit, Mm -hmm. but they don't even have the same exercises Hmm. and they're not in the same order. So the take home there is like, (laughs) do whatever the fuck you want, (laughs) right? Yeah. With some caveats, like as long as it's more intense, as long as it's not too fatiguing, as long as it's kind of 
progressive in the warm-up and regularly, that's the best we can say right now. Maybe that will change. Right now, that's like what we have to work with. And I think that's worked really well. Most of the climbers that I've worked with, like injured or non-injured, what they tell me is they don't see massively greater numbers on their strength training. They know that their fingers feel better. Mm. Like, I just feel like I can grab onto small holds now. I feel like my fingers aren't as sore as they always are. And that's just like a regularity exposure, but it's also a more try-to-be-symmetric exposure to the fingers. It's not just like the middle two fingers crushing all the holds in the fingerboard too. Mm. So it's like a sustainability thing. The thing that's definitely not going to make your fingers stronger long-term is getting hurt every fucking season. Mm -hmm. Like I had a finger injury eight years ago, but I have had zero finger injury since. I guess I kind of have had one the last spring that was like kind of short-term, but like nothing big. Yeah. So that's the thing that we really care about is like not getting hurt. Yeah. So let's wrap up with that because we already, we talked about, you know, your 80% of your clients um, that are just rehabbing an injury and and you kind of noticed the the trend there with the patterns. Like what is it that um, is causing these injuries? We talked about the things to avoid as far as that goes. Um, the other 20%, the people that come to you and they just want to get stronger and send their proj, what are you having, What what kind of like... Is there a, um, are there themes? Like, is there a direction you try to move people towards away from what they've been doing over here? Maybe what the status quo is to what you're having them do that's making a big difference for, for a lot of your clients? It really depends on the person. Some people really like doing their hangboard stuff. That's cool. We do that. Like, I'm okay with people doing that because you can, like, get really strong using a fingerboard. Like, there's no doubt about that. You have to use especially if you have a training age, you have to use weights that are pretty heavy. And that can be kind of scary. But if people are that want to do that, I'm okay with that. But I definitely have to plan it differently for them. They definitely need to do it when they're not tired. They definitely need to make sure they take lots of recovery from it. So it's like the organization of it from the physiology standpoint really matters. But it's too hard to know, you know, say generally on a podcast, it's like, right. what, who are you? Like, what is your training background? What kind of injuries have you had? What have you had success with? Like, what do you want to do? Like, you got I mean, to the is, whole person. This is perfect, though. This is what I'm getting at. It's like, okay, you can still hangboard, but we're having you do it maybe less frequently, only when you're super rested. I mean, those are kind of like the global things that I'm looking for. For sure. So yeah. definitely want to restructure training habits based on understanding physiologic adaptations and recovery from those things. Mm-hmm. So it's mostly like reorganizing their structure, because most people like are not doing the wrong things, really. They're Mm -hmm. either maybe directing their energy like at something that's not going to transfer as well outside, because like what I did, like a bunch of board climbing, not gonna help you that much with like Squamish bouldering, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like those kinds of things are really easy. It's hard to see on yourself for some reason, really easy to see with someone else. Mm -hmm. You're like, no, duh. Like for me, I was like, that was the dumbest fucking thing. Like, why would I do that to myself? Like, yeah. I definitely know better. But it's, like, easy to fall into the trap of, like, just, you know, what you think is appropriate for yourself. So it's mostly that. And then I usually, like, educate people about how you can use these tools and give them a basic amount of, like, what they really want to learn, not what I think they want to learn with, like, mm. talking at their face, right? It's, like, I want to listen to them, have them tell me, why they want me to help them and then give them my suggestions. But it really has to be per person because we're all so damn different. Are a lot of your clients 
switching over to unlevel edges? Is that like, is that just a fad? Is that here to stay? Are there other tools that people are trying and getting psyched on that they weren't using before? Like the wrist stuff. Are you getting like good results from having clients? People love the do wrist. More wrist. People stuff? love the wrist things. There's a whole bunch of different ways you can do that too. Like strength train the wrist with isometrics. Like, but there's no doubt that that's valuable. There's some climbing research that shows that is just as helpful for finger strength as finger training. Mm. But like when we did the 20 mil edge hang, like if anyone zooms in on it, right, you can see it's just like, I'm just hanging on my skin. Mm. Like my middle two fingers are bent and my pinky and my, and like my index finger are just like dragging. They're just hanging, but I'm like strong enough that I can just hang there. But that's like an upper body thing. That's not really that much stress on my fingers. I personally like will would never use a fingerboard to strength train my fingers. Like I will never do that. I think the the unlevel edge like fadness, I don't think that will go away personally. I think the the Tindec being now like pretty inexpensive for what it is or the force board like that will be the future of like people training their fingers for sure cuz it's just too valuable just based on what we saw today. Wow, my fingers are tired. Like that's such important mm -hmm. feedback for athletes to get for their sessions. Yeah. Because every session is going to be a little bit different. Yeah. I'll bet if we had like twice as long of a session and we really pushed it, the numbers would have been lower. Mm -hmm. You're like, wow, that's like pretty significant. Maybe I should recheck my numbers tomorrow and see what they look like. Whoa, those are still really low. Cool. I probably like should chill on the fingers today. Mm -hmm. Next day, damn, they're still low. Like it's really hard for people to take enough rest. Mm. Like, and those things can also be feedback measures to know that it's probably more sustainable long-term mm -hmm. than just like going and hanging on your skin. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting about the wrist thing. You shared that earlier and it kind of perked my, or piqued my interest because uh, I've never worked on wrist strength really. And I think it might be a weak link. Like I kind of had a wrist injury a couple seasons ago and um and I've always I've always just felt really weird in gyms when there's like a big sloper and my wrist is flexed mm. like this like it's always felt like uh, unstable or or just kind of sketchy you know yeah. um and yeah it's it's got me curious like I wonder if maybe I've neglected that and maybe that's like a missing piece maybe that's part of why I've always felt a little frustrated with finger strength. I just have like weak wrists or something. I don't know. I'm definitely a, I'm gonna, something to consider. I mean, you yeah, definitely look into it. your extrinsic finger flexors definitely cross the wrist, but they're not that big. And there's like those are only eight tendons, but there's a bunch more that cross the wrist, right? So to be able to like really stabilize across makes a lot of sense. But climbing's not that hard on the wrist. I mean, it's yeah, it's mechanically hard, but force wise, it's not that hard on the wrist because you can just hang mm. and just passively put force through your wrist. But that's very different than actually getting, you know, concentric load to help like have something called force closure, which is like muscle contraction stability. Mm -hmm. But that's just, again, another intensity thing. I guess the other thing, maybe the thing that people are, I would say, maybe misguided on, I don't like saying doing wrong, but like is trying to do strength training that's not strength training. What do you mean by that? Like, like people love doing calisthenic exercise. Mm, like, yeah. One of the things that people want to argue to the yeah. death about is like calisthenic exercise. Mm -hmm. And like I made a post yesterday on, or this week on my account, and I should have screenshot it because I was like, I'm going to repost this every day for the next month. And it's like, if we're going to strength train, the strength training has a very, the adaptations from it are things that are specific. It does not matter what the exercise looks like. 
And that's like pretty well studied now. Definitely not in climbing, but like broader research for sports performance. And so things that aren't really getting you more recruitment, that aren't heavy and stable, they are skills that you learn. And so like climbers are good at doing other skills because they're naturally pretty strong. So you can do all these other skills, but all you're doing is learning other skills. That's pretty much it. Mm -hmm. Like, will it transfer to rock climbing? I don't know. Like, we can say that the coordination doesn't really transfer that well. So probably not. Are you getting a lot of recruitment out of it? If you're doing 10 reps of it, probably not. Mm -hmm. Like, that's. are you going to get fatigued from it? Yeah, sure. So it's like, what's the point of doing it? Right. Like, if people have other sports and they have other goals, handstands, whatever, they love that stuff, great, that's fine. But if you're really trying to use it for climbing performance, you're probably wasting your time because it's probably not doing anything for you other than getting you tired. Mm -hmm. And that's like another thing that I see very commonly is like for, and that depends on the age, like kids, that'll make kids stronger. Like I have my kids do that and they're little and they've gotten stronger because of it. But eventually I'm going to have to have them stop doing that because it's too low of an intensity. Mm. Right. So I need to add weight and make them physically get more recruitment with it. But People love trying to make exercises that look like rock climbing. Mm -hmm. And that is a huge mistake in my opinion. That's interesting, yeah. Yeah, I the, I think the one that comes to mind that always bothers me is uh, ab circuits, you know? Like let's do 15 minute abs and just do like a bunch of different varieties of shit that's gonna make our core feel super tired and make us feel really sweaty and wanna throw up and we're all gonna suffer together. And it's like, man, if that's fun for you, go for it. but. Um, it's not going to give you a really strong core. It might give you a fit core and like a nice looking six pack, but it's not going to like keep your feet on, on a really steep, hard boulder problem. And I feel like I have a pretty strong core, um, for my climbing ability level. Cause I have to keep my feet, on, my feet on to send things most of the time. Um, but that comes from like deadlifting and climbing in Waco, not from doing crunches or stuff like that. I think, I think that's like something that gets missed a lot. I don't see it as much these days, but even a handful of years ago, there was like lots of suffering. And and the thing is, it's miserable. Like people, people like kind of hate it, but. Um, people do a lot of things thinking that they have to do them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like a big thing with like peddling information that's not substantiated by anything that's anyone else in the world. Like when I chat with other like strength conditioning coaches, like on a professional level about what climbers do. They're like, oh, that's, I remember when we used to do shit like that. They're mm. like, you guys still do that? Like, <laughs> like because there's not that much science in climbing, mm -hmm. but climbers seem to think that, oh, we got to fucking do it the hard way and we got to drag ourselves through the mud and we got to build ourselves up with our research. It's like, let's just fucking shortcut all that stuff and like start with like, use this other research to know that these are better ideas. Let's stop doing those things and let's apply this. Because if we look at like a good, a really good paper that was published forget what journal about like the strength conditioning journal about what's the basic understanding of strength training. Like, what do we need? It's like pick four things, like, and they're the basic things. Do a, some sort of pressing movement, bench press, overhead press, landmine press, something stable, do something pulling, something pull up, something horizontal, something row, do some sort of squat, deadlift squat something. And I think there was one shoulder thing and that's it. Do that like twice a week, like progressively overload it, Take a little bit of a break, do it again. Take a little break, do it again. But don't take a break and start over. You should elevate it every single time. Same exercises or switch exercises each cycle? Like I like the idea of like changing the exercises because 
in my opinion, the exercise doesn't really matter as long as it's targeting the muscle group enough. Like, for example, like a bench press, you could do a full range motion bench press. You could do a 90 degree isometric bench press and a 120 just to have those in the same circuit. You could do a wide grip bench press. You could do an incline bench press. You could do a decline. You could do like pause hold. There's a whole bunch of variations. The goal is to overload the muscles to gain the recruitment and the stiffness. That's it. And you're like doing one of the, you're picking one of those as you're pushing And then go through a cycle of it. And do like a month of it. Oh yeah, a month, six weeks. Six when you're weeks. like plateaued, cool. Stop doing it for a little bit. Pick it up. Do something one. else again. Mm-hmm. Right? And like doing that regularly should have some, and I don't, you don't have to do it all year round necessarily, but it's okay to do it all year round. Like that builds resilience in the tissue. But like people want to argue about rings because they're hard and planches because they're hard. But those things are so much a skill that like you spend so much time just learning the skill. Mm. And even if people know how to do it, if you can do it well, that's even less useful because you're already good and you've already gained all the recruitment you're going to get out of it. Mm. Now you're just like doing some random skill that is not your fucking sport. I don't care how much it looks like your sport. It is not your sport. Yeah. That's a I've really never, hard I've thing never to seen sell. a planche on a boulder problem. I've never seen a front lever on a boulder problem. Yeah. Like, sure, you got to get your feet on, but you're not trying to be all stiff and crooked. You're trying to, like, (laughs) swing your legs up as fast as you can. Mm -hmm. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just really confusing for the general average climber that wants to get better at their sport. Yeah. They just do a bunch of random shit because people are doing a bunch of random shit online. Even coaches, they do random shit. You're like, that's not helpful for everyone in general. It's just like coaches maybe maybe not trying to be creative or flashy, I think, but they just don't understand either. You know, it's like everyone's just got to like learn, you know, maybe maybe the hard way, I don't know. But mm. that's kind of my intention with my stuff is not to be an asshole to people. <laughs> right. It's like trying to like help people understand. But when people have such strong opinions that are not validated or not informed, it's hard to like be, it's hard to continually be pleasant all the time, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you probably, I'm sure you run into that too. Like, Well, I think, I think part of it comes from like, you have your athletes do something and it works or it works to some degree or it seems to work. And then, you know, you do that with a few athletes and then you're like, this thing works and, and I keep using it. It's a great tool. And then you come along and you're like, oh, this doesn't really make the most sense. There's maybe a better way to do this. And it's like, why are you trying to reinvent the wheel here? You know, like we have something and it's it's helping these people get better. If it is, you know, right, assume, right. assuming it is. But. Well, the other thing is there are so many different ways you could do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, but the, I mean, and that's when it comes to like the strength training stuff. I'm okay with like people, obviously those are not the only exercise you could do. Like pick ones that make sense, but they need to be harder. They need to follow like these principles. And if they follow these principles and you're getting the adaptations that you're looking for, great. Be like, that's your own art of what you do. That's the art of coaching, right? But most people just are not uh, not understanding the principles enough that their prescriptions are just like too cookie cutter. They're too random. They're too like unstable. Like those things are are really a waste of people's time mm. if they're trying to improve at climbing. If they want to get better at other things, that's great. But like if you're trying to like create some weird movement on the ground to look like rock climbing, go fucking rock climbing. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I don't get that. It doesn't, yeah. it's never made sense to my brain why we would want to do that. Well, let, let me ask you this. Is there value in, I don't know, if, let's take rings. Maybe maybe there's something to this. Let, let's take like, uh, what's what's the name of the exercise? Like a, like a ring fly or whatever, yeah. when you're kind of in like a push-up position, holding the rings in your fists and you like lower your chest to the ground and put your arms straight out to the side, right? Super hard. 
at first. Like to do that from your feet and not from your knees, like in a push-up position is pretty hard. Um, feels kind of like a hard compression move or something. So if you have already climbed three days that week on a board and your fingers are tired and you need more finger recovery, but your body still feels, you know, your arms and muscles, shoulders, biceps, whatever, um, feel reasonably fresh. Is it okay to, does it make sense to supplement with something like that in that instance to get more of that sort of recruitment in those muscles? I would do strength training. You would lift weights instead? Because that's not like, that's not strength training. That's like, and that's what goes back to, we talked about this when we were climbing, is like your your brain is limited by your effort. Like your ability to get recruitment in, is limited by the perception of what's going on. And so we know from the rehab literature that doing unstable things, like standing on a BOSU ball, doing all these crazy things that we've tried to do in the rehab world, we know that that is a skill that activates a lot of muscles at a low intensity. So that is a skill development thing. That's not like, what's the point of doing it? If an athlete is doing it because they want to learn to do that, that's the outcome, is you're learning to do that skill. But if you're doing it because you want to get your tissues to be more stiff or to get more recruitment in your chest, that's not gonna do it. But I, I, I mean, gymnasts are strong as fuck. They don't Gymnasts lift, lift weights. They do, but... A lot of weights, but th that's their sport. They okay. have to get really good at that sport. Yeah. That's like you think what the strength, the gymnast strength is mostly from the weightlifting and not from so that's the rings a, that's a thing things? where it's like their strength is really good, but their efficiency is better and their coordination is unbelievable. Okay, but they're just like other pro athletes. Take a professional gymnast; they're like they're the top of the tier. They can do a lot of stuff, and that's just like they have the pizzazz and like the you know the smoothness, the beauty of it. That's part of the genetic thing too, but also they like practice that think like but if you put a gymnast right on a climbing wall they wouldn't be able to do like a hard you know toe down power move like right so you can't like it goes both ways you're like oh i'm gonna train like them they don't <laughs> fucking climb rocks to get better at doing the fucking rings okay maybe that's the takeaway there it doesn't make any sense totally yeah yeah like yeah. sure they're awesome and strong but they're not the same thing as a rock climber mm -hmm. they don't climb rocks to get better at doing rings right but we right, do the right, opposite right. and we want to be really emotional about it like <laughs> But everyone that like is an athlete, they lift weights. Like mm. why the fuck does everyone lift weights, but everyone doesn't do what gymnasts do? Mm. Like wrestlers aren't rock climbing to get better at wrestling. Right. It might be good for their hand strength, but that's not that's not cross training. They don't yeah. expect to get better at it because of it. I remember in college, I met an ultimate Frisbee player in the climbing gym who was climbing to get his fingers stronger for ultimate Frisbee. I was like, that's fucking fascinating. That is interesting. <laughs> That's weird. I don't know that you would need to be strong. To... <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know. That, uh, yeah, that doesn't make a lot I, of sense. I don't know to if me. he. I don't know if it leveled up his frisbee. I never followed. And there's through. all sorts of parallels there. There's obviously people that were gymnasts and they come to climbing. They're really good. Right. And they're like, it's because of my gymnast training. Yeah. Right. But like, well, I have an anecdote for you. I'm curious what you think of this. I listened to um, this is a Tim Ferriss podcast years ago with Chris Sommer. He was like the. I think he was the youth team coach for the U.S. national team for many years. And he had some star athlete that was like a total badass. And maybe he was just like a phenom. And that's as simple as it is. Um, like maybe there's not like another explanation. This kid's just like really gifted or something. But this kid, you know, does all his gymnastics training and stuff, but 
didn't spend any time, at least didn't spend any time compound lifting. Maybe he was doing other weight stuff. Um, but I remember the first day he ever deadlifted, I think he was like 130 pounds and he lifted like 400 pounds or something. His first ever time deadlifting, you know? Like, what is that? How is a human body that's just done rings and and these other gymnastics things built its strength and capacity to such a level that the first time you ever pick up weights, you're that strong? That's definitely genetic. Like, you but think it's so? de- but it's yeah. definitely like a learned like he knows how to access force in his body really well, and that probably did come from like the sport for sure. It came from the gymnastic sport. Like, because at- I guess I've met climbers that can do that too. Like, I've met climbers that climb. Alex you know, Pucho is like that. B thirteen and like deadlifted double body weight their first time ever. My friend Kevin, like his first rep, he didn't do it because his balance was a little off. And then he just like rested and tried again and just lifted double body weight. Like his second time ever trying to deadlift. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, oh, well, okay. I think we tested like Alex Puccio. This was years ago. And like she was in my clinic with her boyfriend at the time. And like we did a one rep max mid-thigh pole deadlift and hers was as high as his almost. Wow. He weighed 60 pounds, 50 pounds more. But it was like, it was That's like sick. maybe four or five or something. Yeah. That's still less than what Allison can pull on a bar with one arm. What the fuck? What the fuck? That's that's a what the fuck moment for sure. That's like, so those things happen for sure. Like, and there's yeah. no way anyone's going to be able to train that. So we can't take that and say, I'm going to do exactly that because I'm going to get that outcome. It's mm-hmm. just not, it just doesn't make any sense. It's mm-hmm. just like makes people get hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to do those things. And or so, focus on the wrong things. But the other thing with like the with like the ring fly, that will make you tired for sure. It'll make you fatigued. And so, you know, like and with the strength training, maybe one caveat that I thought about is doing too much of it, I think is also a mistake. So I I like strength training and I like lifting weights for it for a specific reason. But we want to do the absolute minimum possible mm-hmm. to get an adaptation from it. Because if I get all bulky, I'm gonna get slow. I'm going to lose efficiency. I'm not going to be as like fluid with my movement too. Mm-hmm. So what I'm not, I'm actually not a fan of like doing too much, like lifting stuff to gain a bunch of bulk. Some people will, some people won't. I'm someone that gains mass pretty easy. Other people won't. Like I'm not trying to gain mass really. I just will a little bit. Yeah. But like, I'm not suggesting that people become weightlifters because I don't think that's very efficient for climbing either because right. with a stronger muscle, you'll actually have less speed of contraction that'll slow down your rate of force development which mm-hmm. is never the goal with the sport. When you when you think about that example of like you know the the four different types of exercises you pick one of each you do that twice a week that's your strength training like the push the pull the squat and the shoulder thing. Do you kind of like the 10 rep max in a session rule like do two sets of 5 or three sets of 3 or five sets of 2 or do you have like go to sort of ballpark ranges for that kind of stuff with for yourself or with your athletes or I'll use I mean you can do it a whole bunch of different ways like and it probably doesn't matter really like okay. I think maybe the variation is interesting keeps people excited about doing it you know because the weights will change but again the whole point is to like keep the recruitment high and keep the stiffness because do I really care if someone gets really strong pushing not really I care that you're trying to because that has some protective benefit and that should increase sports performance if you're practicing and being intentional and recovering. Mm. Like, but that's the takeaway. It's not that you need to get 
this strength pushing or this strength deadlifting to climb harder because it's not the same thing. Right. It's just about the exposure, and we think that it has protective benefits. And we know that, like, should the the core, not the coordination, but the recruitment should transfer. So I use, like, a, I'll do, and I know my weight's good for my lifts, so I'll do, like, a set of six or a set of seven, and then maybe one set of five, and then sets of three, like four, three or four sets of three, like, intense. So the six is, like, lower intensity, and you're kind of building up? Is that The six is, like, a warm-up. But yeah, my yeah. warm up usually is like 75%. Okay. Like I definitely don't warm up at like 40%. I definitely don't go out and do a bunch of jumping jacks and run <laughs> around for 20 minutes before I lift weights. Mm-hmm. Like I think like other animals, like I should be ready to like lift heavy shit when I feel like I'm ready to lift heavy shit. Yeah. But I will rest two days between. Mm-hmm. So I'll like, you know, do something on Monday and then I'll rest a couple days or three days even and then I'll go do it again. Yeah. Rest a bunch of days and do it again. It doesn't need to be so rigid and so structured to get the adaptation from it because it's just about like building resilience. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Whenever I've lifted, I've always, I've always liked just starting right off with a heavy compound lift. Like if it's deadlift day, the very first thing I do is deadlift and I just warm up with, you know, a reasonable set and work and work up to my working sets. And after I do that, I'm kind of ready to go with like every other exercise. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I'll do that on my fingers sometimes too. I don't have, I don't recommend people do that. Like I did that when Allison was here and we shot that video. Like my fingers were not warmed up. Like we just went out cold. I was like, oh, let me do this. I'll do my test. Like my numbers were the same, like peak. Wow. So like I'll go out sometimes and just be like, oh, I'm going to hang on a 20 mil edge and just hang on a 20 mil edge with one arm. Mm -hmm. Like knowing that your body's resilient is like awesome. Like that's a good thing for athletes, I think. Mm -hmm. And that's not risky. I don't think either if you're used to doing it all the time. Mm -hmm. Like, and I think that's like a supportive thing for sports performance in general. People don't feel so fragile. When you get a little pain complaint, you're like, ah, it's probably okay. I don't have to stop doing things. Like I'm still okay to load, Mm -hmm. you know? But don't do that, listeners. Don't go try and one arm hang a 20 mil. Not warmed up. (laughs) If you've never done it. Yeah. 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 Good caveat. Um, well, cool, man. I, we've been going for quite a while. I think, uh, I think I've taken up a bunch of your time today and we can always do this again. Um, is there anything else you want to talk about? Any other PSAs, pet peeves, uh, advice, anything you've got for people? No, not uh, really. Before I let you go. Okay. I don't think so. I think that covered a whole bunch of, you know, we've mixed in some rehab, mixed in some yeah. strength training. Like it's good to do a follow up too, to just like make it, you know, distill it down to like, hopefully something that's really easy for people to understand, right? The goal is not to make things more complicated, but yeah, the goal is to try and use numbers and a little bit more science to show that these things are all just kind of like similar. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's essentially what we wanted to talk about. So I think we did that justice. Awesome. Yeah. I think it'd be really interesting to come back through on my way back to Washington after Waco and uh, maybe do some testing after the trip yeah. and, and yeah, see yeah. what happens. Yeah. For I mean, sure. I don't really have a great baseline right now. Like we kind of tested my max today just as part of the warm up. But um, I climbed last night. I took like a bunch of days off and like, you know, have climbed very little over the last few weeks before that. So I, I have really no idea like where where I'm at right now, where right. my numbers are at. But yeah, it'd be interesting to come back through and, and uh, I'll try to... Take your your thoughts to heart on this trip. I think um, the key for or one of the keys for me will 
always. It's just do a little bit less, keep some in the tank. Like one thing I have to remind myself is like, it's okay to go outside in Waco on a long climbing day and just hang out for a big chunk of the day. Yeah, You know, I just get ADD and I want to like, I'm like a kid in a candy shop and I want to climb everything. And then that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But if I want to perform my best and make real progress on some of these hard things, not having six hour days all the time is going to be helpful. And and I can just like hang out in the sun, support take friends. A nap, take a nap, read a book. Yeah. Spot like, people. Have double days. Whatever. Double days are probably better than long days for sending. Split sessions. Yeah. Climb yeah. in the morning, chill all day, climb again in the evening. Like, mm. you know, being selective like that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because as soon as you start to get a little fatigued and pumped, your coordination goes down. Just mm -hmm. like always. There's just no way around that. You have to wait that out. Yeah. Trying to short shortcut that is just gets people hurt. Are you doing anything to keep your climbing, like your rock climbing skills up this winter? Or is it just, it's winter off season, you're back in the gym, board climbing? We actually went out to Little yesterday because I had high hopes because it's been like sunny in the valley and not too cold. Yeah. But, and I was like, oh, we're, we were going to go to Ogden, which is dry. But the person I was climbing with wasn't that psyched about that place in particular because it was like all hard things. So we went Little. I was like, I think this boulder will be snowy. We walked in. So snow covered. Mm. I was like, oh, I thought it would, for some reason, I thought that would be less snowy, but mm. it's hard because now, like, my usual is like little. It's like pretty easy and convenient. Yeah. Going to Ogden takes an hour, weekend trips, you know, those are harder for me to pull off just because my family. So yeah. I get less of that, but I'll probably do some. But I'm definitely changing the habits for the board, though. I'm not just like we talked about, like trying to make a problem that I can do to the top because that's me climbing at like, 80% effort, like, and I make a bunch of problems that are like fit my strengths, which is like, hey, small hold, I'm going to grab onto this small hold and jump. Like that feels really good for me, but that's not going to help me. Mm -hmm. well, it's fun to climb with other people. Like, and I have an open invitation for people listening, like send me a message if you're in Salt Lake to come climb on the board because it's really fun to climb with other people that see it differently and use their strengths. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to try that thing because when I'm outside, I don't get to choose what the problems are. Like mm -hmm. I got to do the things. And so it really is helpful for my skill set to try things that I naturally wouldn't do. Yeah. So I'm going to try and take that approach all winter. Nice. That's cool. Yeah. It's so easy to get in a rut when you're setting for yourself of just setting all the things you like and are good at. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and like, those are the things, like we said, the, the strengths are not going to change and the weaknesses are going to hopefully change a little bit, but it's hard to get those to change too, but the strength things are never going to change. Like they're always going to be there. Mm. So like doing that all winter is not going to help me at all. Mm. It'll only make me feel less less prepared when I go outside. Like those shoulder removes today, like I'm definitely going to try and do those. Nice. Those are hard for me for sure. Like I'm going to try and work into those positions too. Sweet. Well, I appreciate you, man. Yeah. Thanks same. for doing this. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. It's fun to sit down and do it. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Instead of on a do Zoom it in person. Call. Yeah, I look sure. at computers a lot nowadays. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. Let's do it again. Cool. All right. I feel like I have to say bye. But bye, everybody. Yeah. See you, everyone. <laughs> hey, friends. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Tyler. Once again, he's been on the podcast four times, and I've done two follow-up episodes with him that you can only listen to through Patreon. So if you want to go back and listen to some of the other stuff, 
that we've done. We did an episode on how to train based on your finger anatomy. That was super interesting. And we did another one where we did a deep dive into active recruitment versus passive tension and why he advocates for his active flexion way of training your fingers that we touched on in this episode. So if you want that, you can go check that stuff out on Patreon. I also published an audio blog this week where I caught you guys up on what I've been up to. If you want to go check that out, you can find all of that and a lot more at patreon.com slash the nugget climbing. There's a link right there in your podcast app. If you scroll down, there's a seven day free trial. If you want to check it out and you can cancel whenever no questions asked. So there's no risk. I would love to have you with us. I really appreciate the support and it really does make all the difference for me and for the podcast. I couldn't do this without my sponsors and I couldn't do this without you guys on Patreon. It really does make all the difference in the world. So thank you for considering. I hope you guys have an amazing week. Much love to all of you wherever you are tuning in. Best of luck with your training and climbing and we will see you next time. Like we do it.